Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes, we got sponsors. First up, Foo Wax. The best wax in the game. This stuff is so sticky and grippy, you'll never slip off your stick again. Ever. Ever. Again. So go to your local surf shop. And, and make sure they carry it. And if they don't, demand it. Demand it. You'll be stoked. Try it out. Our next sponsor, Bonsai Bowls. Oh. I know a lot of our listeners have, have had one of these. And if they haven't, they're going to now. They're missing out. They're missing out. It's a healthy, delicious, amazing, fresh acai bowl with tons of fruit and organic like ingredients. They've got five locations in Southern California. From Huntington to San Clemente and all in between. Two in Hawaii. Two in Hawaii for that, those on the North Shore. And, um, you know, come support these guys. They have amazing Asahi bowls and they support the West Coast board riders and a lot of the surf events up and down the coast. And they've made it a lot easier With to get them. They've got their own app now. That's right. Go to your app store and download Bonsai Bowl app and you can pre-order, pre-pay and just go pick up. Cut cut through the line. And for our listeners of the Late Night with Chalky podcast, you're going to get 15 off your next bowl. A 15% discount off yes. Bonsai Bowls. That's insane. Um, so make sure to mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast and you get 15% off That's at right. Bonsai Bowls. And one of our other favorite restaurants, oh, Caliente, Caliente OC. Caliente Southwest.com. They offer healthy Mexican style food with local uh, organic ingredients. Family owned. Family owned. Their phone number is 949-515-0909. And our listeners get 15% off there as well. Yeah. So mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast and get 15% off at Caliente OC. And both these guys are great at catering events. So you could use them for a shop event, corporate event, birthday event, wedding, all of the above. They love to party. And last but not least, we are super stoked to welcome Olo Clip as a new sponsor of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. What is Oloclip? Uh, they make the original mobile lens system for your phone. So these can make clips that hold the lenses, the cases that are designed to make it really easy to get the clip on the phone. So check them out at oloclip.com. And for all the Late Night with Chalky podcast listeners, they get 10% off. That's, that's huge. Huge. So at checkout, the code is SURF10, that's S-U-R-F, the number 10, and you get 10% off Oloclip. And you guys got to check check out our Instagram. We're going to be posting pictures with these wide, in, wide lens uh, angles, uh, fish eye, all kinds of cool like photo options with your phone. And for you uh, rich dudes out there, like late night, they do make cl- uh, <laughs> lenses for iPhone 11s. What? What? Epic. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Welcome. We got an epic guest today, former top 10 
pro surfer, shaper, nicknamed the Skeletor. Skeletor. Welcome to the show, Richie Collins. Woo! Drop it in. Richie. Yeah. Do you cuss? Richie, do you yeah. cuss? We're, we're, uh, round of applause. We do love you, it. Thanks you, for uh, making the time. Do you use curse no words? No worries. Do you use curse words, Richie? <laughs> yeah, he does. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you hit my finger with a hammer, I probably would. <laughs> if oh. he has a jersey on, he would. <laughs> but I don't wear him anymore. <laughs> no, I think the proper way to introduce Richie motherfucking Skeletor Collins. One of the most iconic surfers oh of all time, gosh. man. Oh, my gosh. You can't start off like that. Come on. We Ten did o'clock. We did it. No, can't start off like that. All right. Yeah. Richie, uh, you're from Deport Beach. Right. Yes. Uh, tell Dark us how. Uh, tell us uh, how you got into surfing. When? How old were you? Well, my father Lance Collins started a company called Wave Tools back in 1969. Wow. And um, he just got really into it. He was building boards in the 60s and doing other crazy things in the 60s. And uh, he uh, just started wanting to surf and build boards, worked for a few companies and didn't like what they were doing. So he started doing his own thing and then ended up being a company and got further and further. And I started surfing when I was about probably three years old and then Damn. got more into it when I was about six, seven years old. Cause he had a store down at, uh, Newport beach down at the pier, right on the beachfront. So I just, you know, grabbed a board one day with my sister and we just paddled out and started riding the whitewash. Nice. Sick. Right, right there. Blackies. Yep, right there at Blackie's, right at the end of the pier parking lot by the showers where there used to be a Pier 1 Records. I think it was Pier 1 Records or something like that. Yeah. Such a good little zone to, to learn how to surf. Yeah, it was great. I mean, back back then in the 70s, and there was a lot more waves back then, though. So less people, too. Yeah, way yeah. less people. We know that for sure. So you and your sister started surfing at the same time, pretty much. Yeah. We nice. both started surfing the same time. She stopped doing it after a few months or what so, and I kept doing it. And then um, some other little kids were out there here and there. We just met up, you know, hung out, and that's how I got to know all my friends. Nice, nice. So, Who are you surfing with as Groms? Well, nobody in particular until I met um, these two boys were down there by the pier one day, and I saw them, so I kind of like paddled over to them and I started surfing with them. And I really didn't know who they were, but we were just kind of hanging out, surf for a couple hours. And then years later, um, they actually started getting boards from my dad. Sick. And they looked familiar to me. And I said, hey, you remember me? <laughs> and they're like, what? And they and I reminded them, and it was it was Mike Estrada and Dave Estrada. No way. No. Sick. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Gary Edgar. Oh, no. He, <laughs> he was later on in the teen time when we were doing the WSAs together. Nice, nice. I, I, I saw Estrada this morning surfing the pier. Oh, yeah? Where? Yeah. What pier? Huntington. Really? He yeah. He makes, I know. He makes his way up here. Yeah, I've well, seen him out there a couple once times. Once in a while. Yeah, I see him out there a couple times lately. Wow. That's crazy. Well, so. it's one of the only places to surf right now. It's unfortunate. Yeah, well, you know, there's always some little secret spots here and there. Yeah. 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 So we, you obviously with the dad being, uh, you know, a shaper, you, you grew up riding his boards right away, obviously. Yeah, I actually. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, no, actually not. Really? I, uh, <laughs> basically, would just grab a board out of the store and just start riding it. And then I started getting better and better. And um, he would never make me a board. So finally, my friend that had an animal tracks that he traded into my dad, I started riding that board. It was like a six-foot single fin from like 76 or something like that and uh i was just riding that every day and started going down line doing a couple turns hitting a lip a little bit on it and uh uh finally guys were the boys around town going, dude what's your problem lance why don't you make your kid a board <laughs> proper proper board man it was six yeah, footer that, exactly that was, a, that was a gun back then so luckily in 76 77 the twin fins started popping out and getting really popular so um, one day he made me a board. Nice. And I was, I think, eight years old. Wow. So, and it didn't work. It was a twin fin. It didn't work for me <laughs> because I was so used to riding single fins. And back in the day, if anybody remembers going from a single fin from a twin fin, you would take off on the twin fin. You go right, it would go left. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a whole different surfing uh, style to have to adjust to. Yeah, single fins, you pretty much set an edge, and then it goes not goes necessarily where it's straight. supposed to go. Yeah, yeah, it goes where it's supposed to go, where yeah. twin fins are a lot more squirrely under your feet, right? Well, back then, twin fin was a twin fin, but yeah. nowadays, the twin fins I'm making right now are working like tri-fins, and the guys riding them are riding them in big waves, so, yeah. or, you know, more than just tiny flat waves. So, did you quickly progress at, at surfing? Like, yeah, come to you naturally? I did. I met some more friends from the store. Uh, you know, a bunch of my guy, my dad's team guys, you know, that I grew up with that were older than me. And, a, and one kid I grew up with that was a year and a half older than me, Paul Ebel from 36th Street. You know, we became really good friends and grew up together. Another kid, Bobby Knickerbocker, became really good friends with. And um, Jamie Reedling and uh, all his brothers. And, you know, it just became this really big group of kids. And um, we just started surfing against uh, with each other every day and you know uh, got to know more kids as I got older and then when I started high school I got even more friends yeah like Todd Miller and stuff like that and uh, my friends that you know from Harbor Dave Giddings and stuff yeah and yep Dave, Dave Giddings actually started um, almost writing for my dad back when I was about 11 but he didn't uh, but his brother Greg did and then uh, Greg went on to shaping his own boards and coming out with his own company. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, I just started surfing more and more, getting in competition, and uh, started doing the WSAs, and uh, started coming to Hawaii when I was 11 years old, and started coming Damn. over to the North Shore when I was 13, and living over here every winter. So, so, so awesome. you're doing was that with your dad, and, your parents, or or through uh, no? Your uh, first time I went to Kauai. Uh, my dad's been going to Kauai since the 60s, and that's when he met uh, Titus and the Kinimaka family and became really good friends with them and started making them boards back in the late 70s or early 70s, I think. Late 70s, I can't remember, but it was you know pretty early in the 70s. Yeah. And then um, I flew over with them one year in 80 and met up with them, and we hung out for a few weeks in Kauai and had a good time, and it was very interesting and scary. Yep. Um, back when the day when there was only one stop sign on the whole entire island, which was a blinking light, <laughs> and a couple stop signs um, here and there that you'd hardly ever run into. Yeah. So very interesting. So Hawaii's like a second home to me. You know, I've been coming here for 40 years, or going over there for 40 years. So yeah, it's 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 a beautiful place. So did you get familiar with kind of bigger bigger surf, um, you know, getting experience out there at a pretty young age? And Yeah, I, I uh, came over here when I was 13 by myself and came to the North Shore and stayed with the Angula family um, back in uh, 82, I think it was. And uh, first time paddling out at sunset, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> so took off on my... Uh, one of the biggest waves I've ever taken off on on the West Peak and uh, on a 6.6 single fin from a Danny Kwok pintail model from back in the early 80s nice. or late 70s, early 80s. But um, it was uh, very interesting, and I fell in love with it ever since. So, who, who, uh, but, you, but, you, but you hung around and watched the contest, the Triple Crown over there and stuff, so that you're probably pretty, pretty psyched. Yeah, well, <laughs> when I came over here, there was the uh, Sunkiss World Cup, and Tom Carroll had won it that year against MR. And I was walking by the final, and I went to surf V-Land at the time. And uh, then when it was over, me and my buddy Mark Angula ran back to his house, grabbed our bigger boards, which was a 5.8 and a 6.6, and uh, (laughs) decided to paddle out. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was just (laughs) – I mean imagine, imagine seeing sunset, the most perfect you've ever seen it. And that's how it was. It was like a northwest with a west in it, and it was beautifully, perfectly offshore glass conditions, epic. And, how big? Uh, it was awesome. It was during December, so I was on my uh, what did we uh, Christmas break? Nice. How big was it? So, um, it was solid six to eight foot, you know. So um, for a thirteen-year-old, that was only about four foot nine at the time. Four foot ten weighed about eighty-five pounds. It was pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so, so uh, you started surfing amateur contests in the area. Were you starting to win them? Um, well, in Hawaii, I didn't start surfing the Hawaii comps until I think I was 16 or 17. But Ooh. I was coming over. I was going over there um, every year after that. Yeah. And I start. I you know I started hanging out with the the Bedros, Stayed with them a couple yeah. times and. Uh, Got more into big wave riding, and then I moved in with Bradshaw for a couple years. Nice. So I was living with Kenny Bradshaw, and you know how that goes. Yeah, yeah, got, maniac. Well, let's yeah, he, let's go back he, to let's go back he made, to your... he made me start surfing big waves. I had no choice. <laughs> that probably prepared you for the pro tour, though, right? Oh, he sure did. Yeah. Without his help, I would have never done anything over here in Hawaii. Yeah. 
So let's go back to your Newport Grom days. Uh, you mentioned Quok and Parker. Um, or not, you didn't mention Parker, but... Reeling. Those, those yeah. when you, you're Jeff a little Parker, younger than those Danny guys, Clark, right? Preston Murray, John Gothard, Schmerk, Mark Mangan, and uh, see, who else was uh, one of the main characters there? Um, I think there was a couple other boys that were kind of like following behind those guys that yeah. were, you know, I, I surf with every day. So, but those were like the main guys that were on the magazines and stuff like that. And uh, the couple other boys made the magazines, like Alan Lopez and um, I think Carrie uh, Kalina and Joey Kalina, a couple other boys. Yeah. So those guys, that was like early '80s when those guys were blowing up with Echo Beach, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a big deal. Fifty Fourth Street, Echo Beach. Um, the uh, you know the Quicksilver stuff you know, came around and my dad was really involved with them back in the, uh, late seventies, the early, the early eighties yeah. and did a bunch of ads with them, with the boys. And, uh, you know, we, you know, had other guys like Robbie Todd, you know, riding our boards, you know, yeah. my dad's boards at the time. And, um, we had a really good crew, you know, it was a really good bit of, uh, really tight net crews between wave tools and McCoy the whole time. And yeah. Greg Prouch was, you know, hanging out with, um, McCoy was coming over, you know, shaping boards for Shane Horan. Dude, I tell you, I had like Shane Horan, Gary Kong Elkerton, Sean Thompson, Rabbit, Dan Kealoha, Larry Bertelman, Buttons. I had the whole crew. I had all of Australia, Martin Potter coming over. I mean, uh, Hans Hedelman, uh, Derek Mike. I Every single pro in the whole world came and hung out. Hung out. And hung at your dad's shop. Yeah. Not all of my dad's shop, but Newport. But just was, in the area of it. Yeah, zone. in the area. Newport was the spot to hang out, the party area. And I was the only Grom around that was just like <laughs> hanging out with everybody. So it was pretty damn cool. Yeah. Did, did your dad, dad uh, you know, keep keep you in the shop to, to help out and stuff? Did you did you learn uh, well, he didn't, the trade? He didn't, he didn't keep me in the shop. He made me be in the shop. <laughs> yeah. But I pretty much didn't have a childhood. My childhood was sucking up foam and sniffing up resin my yeah. whole life so <laughs> since i was born that's where i pretty much spent my whole time so it's in your dna yeah i uh when they took a blood test um a few years back they said they didn't understand what this um this liquid form was in it and i said it could be either acetone or resin <laughs> running through my veins <laughs> yeah so your, your blood's made up of plasma white cells and acetone <laughs> exactly. so a little extra a little extra acetone count on it so, so was you? No, it was. It was interesting. It was slave, slave labor, slave yeah. work. Um, and you know, I just, I am kind of like the kind of person that when you start showing me how to do something, I figure out better ways of doing it. And I kind of, I started doing it. And then once I started going around the world, I learned even more. Nice, nice. Yeah, we 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 interview a lot of people, and you know, we always talk about like growing up within. The, you know, your local surf shop or surf factory, which a lot of people, you know, got their, their first jobs at and stuff. So seem like you're, you know, in, embedded having a dad that's a shaper and, you know, with all, you know, being right there in Newport, it must have been insane to see all these guys coming through town. Well, it, it was unbelievable. It just, you know, you're growing up and you're seeing all these magazines and stuff and you're watching Jerry Lopez do that bottom turn at Pipe that was just the most incredible thing. And, 
you're like, God, I want to surf that. And you see the sunset pictures of people pulling in and, you know, PT and Ian Karen's coming over into my shop with the Brom Dozzies and building boards with Shane Haran was just like, you know, there's, there's so much stuff, yeah. you know, that as I speak, memories come up and, um, just Perfect. looking and studying those photos and then watching the, you know, uh, big Wednesday and, um, uh, endless summer when that came out and just, yeah, just knowing that that is what you want to do. Yeah. That's, yeah. You, that's, yeah, that's your goal is to yeah. emulate and be one of those guys. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's crazy is like, you know, the, the late seventies, early eighties, Newport was like the epicenter of surfing for a while. Well, you yeah, know? it did. It became because the reason why it got that way is because when the boys started coming and hanging out with us and, um, between my father and Greg Pouch, you know, both doing, you know, Wave Tools and McCoy, yeah. they pretty much and got it going mostly with, you know, Bob McKnight, you know, with the Quicksilver thing. And that's kind of what exploded the Echo Beach yeah. thing. And then, you know, Bob Hurley was kind of in the mix of that, you know, working for my father shaping boards in the mid 70s into the later 70s. And then, um, it's like it was like a swarm, yeah. you know. It's like here's the here's the the main beehive, and everybody from around the world came to Newport Beach, you know. Yeah. And there was the Huntington crew too. Like Bud Lamas would cruise down, and then you'd have guys like Steve Webb and um, Randy Wadeen and uh, other guys. Man, who else is out there? Um, the Hawks, uh, the Hawk uh, Brothers, the Hawk, the Hawk Brothers, and Parminer. Uh, well, Parminer, they're they're from. Uh, they were from Newport from back in the seventies, but they moved up to uh, Carpinteria, SoCal, a long time ago. Yeah. San yeah. Luis Obispo area, Cayucas, and then um, uh, you know they parameters were riding for my dad back in the early late seventies, early eighties too. Oh, that's right. Now and, I remember that. Uh, was it Dave that had the like weird gray board? This like yeah, yeah, he, he had the uh, he had the um, the. Uh, I think it was all gray, but I think we were making him um, gray boards that looked like the side of a ship. Yeah, yeah. Battleship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we were doing those. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I think we kind of stopped doing those. I can't remember, but I mean, he could tell you more than I can, but uh, I think he stopped doing those because he was afraid that it reminded a shark of a shark. <laughs> so, but I was just little, man. I remember going up there when I was about. 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, a few times, you know, and then, uh, uh, going up there a lot after that. Yeah. So those, those air brushes are so... CCS central coast surfboards. Yeah. That central was coast. the, that was the surf shop we used to sell our boards to. Yeah. They competed in the WSA and everything. So you guys cruised up and down the coast. Well, yeah, I used to go up there to do the WSA up at, uh, Cayucas pier. Yeah. And yeah. it was, uh, very interesting. And, um, Mostly San Diego, though. I only went up there once in a while to do the contest up there, but we mostly went to San Diego and just around town. Because there was, back then, there was divisions. Like, uh, there was like uh, the 1A division, the 1A B division, like certain areas. Like, um, yeah. like there was like the full Huntington area where all the Huntington boys, we all surfed the WSAs. And once in a while, we'd linger out. If it was like an invitational, we'd go down to south or we'd go up north. And it would be like, um, uh, say our section is one versus section two yeah you know and that's kind of what it was back in the day yeah i think huntington's division five 
or Area 5, whatever they did. Maybe it was now it is, but back then I think it was we were 1A and they were 1AB or something. I can't so, remember. So awesome. So you mentioned you started shaping early, right? How old were you when you started yeah. shaping? Well, my dad came to me once when I was you know, cleaning the shop one summer, and I started doing ding repairs when I was a little little younger than 11, but that summer I started doing ding repairs and cleaning the shop, and he goes, hey, Rich, I got this board. I don't really want to finish. You want to finish it? So I said, okay, shoots, and he gives me this big blank, and I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to finish this thing, I want to be able to write. And he goes, well, then there's my you know, there's my templates. It's You make yourself a 4.9 or whatever you want to make yourself. So I said, okay, so from watching him and Bob Hurley and, you know, seeing what was going on, I went in there and did my outline and cut it out and started – my dad wouldn't let me use planer because I was too small and I could barely see over the board because the racks were so high. <laughs> um, you know, I just got out the sureform and started sureforming a blank all the way down to a – I think it was 4.10.19 or 19 and a quarter wide or something like that. So it came out looking like complete knifed edge rails. Uh, just the funkiest looking thing you've ever seen I went in there and spent like three days airbrushing it put these one inch checkers all over it which I don't know what the hell I was thinking and then I got in there get ready to glass it my dad wouldn't help me so I just said okay you know watching the guys in there glassing boards I said oh what the hell I'll just do this and so I pulled the glass cut it out the way they you know I watched them do it shot off a batch of resin and in the middle of it the thing went off on me <laughs> What the hell's going on here? And I ran out. I go, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then, um, so when I you say it went off, it was smoking. It no, stopped. no, the, Just the resin went off. Hardening. On it. Yeah, it started hardening. Okay. And I'm like, didn't know what to do. I think John Collins was there. He goes, oh, just pull the glass off real quick. Hurry up, pull it off. I pulled the glass off, threw it on the ground, and start cleaning all the resin off the board. And then my dad came in, freaking out. Go, what happened? What happened? I'm like, going, oh, the resin went off on me. He goes, what? You wasted the resin and that glass, man. Is like, man, that cost me like three or four dollars. Yeah, like freaked out on me or something. I'm like, well, dude, you're the one who said you wouldn't help me, so I wouldn't did it myself. Oh, it's so awesome. So right then and there, I think it was John or my dad. I can't remember. You know, they showed Cutting me how the to steps, mix, the mix. Showed me how to, you know, mix the resin correctly and how much resin to use. Dude, I didn't know. I just, you know, putting this much resin, a certain amount of resin, and five cc's. I probably put that much resin with twenty-five cc's. I don't know. Yeah. You know. So, but no, you know, you learn from your mistakes. Got the bottom done. Got the deck. Hot coated it. Got it all the fins on and everything like that. Unfortunately, I couldn't sand it because I was too damn small. And the machines were bigger than I was. Yeah. So Rick Wheeler sanded it for me and did a really good job. And it uh, worked. Um, no. <laughs> it went fast. Would you make but a twin fin swallowtail? It, uh, it went really, really fast once I took off on the thing. But when you went to turn it, it just kind of dug rails because there was no like, there was no like, you know, if you can see my hand, it was just it just looked like that. So, just a but knife. you know, after a few more years, a couple more years, you know, my dad had another blank he didn't want to finish, and I couldn't cut that one down, and so I finished it. Came out totally killer. I didn't ride it. We turned around and sold it. I think for like two hundred eighty-five bucks. And um, a few months ago, I found it. No, way. no. sick. Yeah. That's second awesome. board I ever made it was a twin fin. Sick! Wow, incredible! I've got, I've got it at home. So, so obviously, your dad was your first sponsor. Who who was your? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> if you want to call making me a board once every year, if that a sponsor, I guess so. <laughs> but was actually, he, uh, no, no, no. Quicksilver was my first sponsor. Really? I got, I got free. I got a couple free pairs of shorts. Nice. 
How old are you? Were, were you? Who was getting you up and down to the the contests, like the WSAs and stuff, and, and well, traveling? Because my, my dad was, you know, driving. He's he was doing them too. So he was tacking me up and down the coast, surfing those with the family. We'd sleep in the van with my mom and my sister. You know, nice. so it was it was interesting camping out. It was fun. So if you want to call that a sponsor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So. So. Was, so you know, who was but, who was the team guy um, back then when when you got on Quicksilver? Was it? Uh, it wasn't Robbie Todd because um, he's no. There was no team guy. I think it was just um, Bob McKnight at really? the time. Okay. I can't remember, but yeah, because Parker, Preston, Danny, all the boys, you know had quicksilvers my dad actually came up uh designed the first quicksilver checkered shorts and i think it was parker that came out with the first stripes and they were all sewed on all the checkers were sewed on separately the stripes were sewed on separately wow everything was cut and sewed on separately there was nothing there was no patterns nothing back in the day yeah and my dad my dad still has i think the first pair of quicksilver shorts that's crazy with checkers on them so they were they were the they were the quicksilver logo the yeah. old wave logo checkers. Yeah. So, and uh, he came up with all those designs, and then um, uh, that's kind of like it just took off. And I'm, I'm once you know it was too hard sewing all that stuff up, too expensive. I think Bob went over to Australia, talked to the boys over there, and they found a way to get patterns made. Yeah. So, so, so how long did that. you how long did you ride for Quicksilver? Um. Only, I think, a couple years until some certain things happened, and um, uh, that was it, you know? So you, you turned pro pretty young, right? Yeah. yeah I, uh, after doing all the amateur contests and stuff like that, the WSAs, um, some reason, I never did the NSSAs because of some odd reason. I can't remember right now, but I, it might come back to me. So I said, you know, forget you guys. If you don't let me do that. And, oh, yeah, they said I couldn't do the NSAs because I was too young. Hmm. I was 13, wow. and they wouldn't let me do the NSSAs. I guess some reason back then you had to be 14. Or the guy that was running out of time just didn't like my dad and didn't want me around. So, <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. Um, could have been both, but I'm <laughs> thinking maybe it was the other one. So, um, yeah. When, <laughs> you know, one summer, uh, OP – decided to have a competition called the OP Surf Shop Challenge back in 1983, and we had a team, but we were missing a fourth guy, and I just said, I'll do it, <laughs> but I had to be pro, because there was no, you couldn't be amateur and accept money, so I just turned pro at 14, and we went down there, and um, I finished 17th, and I think our team finished, I, I, I know in the top five, I'm trying to think maybe second or third, but I know we were in the top five. Wow. And where was that at? That was down at Churches. Churches, sick. All the boys were there. Sunny, that's where I met Sunny Garcia. Buttons was there. All the boys from Hawaii were there. It was it was awesome. It was a big deal um, then. The most the most classic thing about that contest is Buttons went out there and was just freaking tearing it up. Like there's no tomorrow in his heat. Just going ballistic. Like three sixty helicopters, five on a wave, eight on a wave, going nuts, big old cutbacks, all kinds of crazy stuff. And the heat was over. And then he stands up after the heat, and he just pulls off like six or seven 360s on one wave all the way down the line. And then they give it in a chance to qualify as Oh, no way. Yeah. And you know what? It was great for the other teams, but we were so pissed off that he did it. We tried to all – we all jumped in and tried to fight that they wouldn't disqualify him. <laughs> 
even though we knew we would get our butts kicked because he just just dominated that. Yeah. Just ripped it. So, so what, what what kind of money was in that uh, event? Like, what did you your team you know place? You said top, I think maybe third yeah, or think, second third. Yeah, I think we actually finished second because I think we got four grand. I think or Damn. something like that. That's pretty. So we got thousand thousand each four man team. I think so. We got we either got two thousand or four thousand. I think the team that won got like eight grand or something. I can't remember. But I, I remember again in the chat, I was like, what? You know, because if you won a thousand bucks back in 1983, man, that was like winning 10 grand right now or 100 yeah. grand right now. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. A thousand, you know, thousand bucks could pay rent for five months back then, you know? So was your so, dad uh, supportive if you turned in pro at 14? Um, everybody laughed at me. <laughs> Thought I was an idiot. What a dumbass, you know? So I just proved him wrong. Yeah. yeah, you did. And then, uh, and, then, and then you kind of obviously couldn't do the amateur events. What what um what U.S. contests well, like pro ams well, were there? Well, the, interesting because um, I think Ian Cairns and Alyssa took over the NSSA back then. I'm not sure because they came out with a um, an Explorers Pro Series. Oh wow! That Greg Mongol, Dave Palmer, John Palmer, um. Craig Coleman, uh, Mike Crookshank, the Lamb Brothers, um, Todd Martin. Uh, I could go on and on. Yeah. I mean, the McNul- McNulty, McNulty's, they all started surfing it. Wow. And so I started surfing that and learning from them. Jim Hogan, I mean, all those guys, you know, Mike Parsons, everybody started surfing them. And then Joey Brand came up with the PSAA that same year. In 1980, it was 84, 85, I think Joey Brand came up with that series. And they all started surfing that. And I'm like, wait a minute. I want to surf that. Yeah. yeah. Started surfing it too. So it actually part, you know, worked out pretty well because I, I still got to compete. And that, then I started coming over here to, you know, going over to Hawaii a lot. Yeah. And that's when I, you know, because I, I started competing against the Hawaiian boys, all of the boys back in the day in the U.S. US um, with the U.S. championships. You know, yeah. that's how I met Ricky Irons and the brought the uh, Brock Little and his and his uh, and um, the little brothers and uh, the Budros and um, Shmoo. God, maybe who, who did who did you end up uh, getting sponsored after Quicksilver? Like, how did that um, roll into the next after, sponsor? Interesting. After Quicksilver, um, I uh, was on O'Neill. Also, O'Neill was my first wetsuit sponsor since i was about 10 11 years old because tim bernardi was a newport local and you know he sponsored all the you know surfers down there too and though so he got me on there and i got some cool wetsuits you know for o'neill back in the day it was just awesome i mean oh, he's still pretty best. damn cool you know yeah. but um so i rode for the o'neill for a few years until when i turned pro they basically um said no they're not going to pay me and they're going to worry about the older guys like you know Sean Thompson and whoever was on the team at the time. Yeah. And I said, okay, whatever, you know, I'm good to go. And then uh, my dad said, hey, my old buddy Wayne Brown owns Alita. Maybe we can get you on the Alita wetsuits. So I said, okay, let's go talk to him. Went down there, talked to him. He's known me before, I, you know, he went to, you know, he's known my mom and dad since before I was born. And um, we talked. I goes, oh, cool, you know, right on. Yeah, I'll give you some suits. What are you looking for? Oh, you know, I'll get some suits and whatever else. He goes, well, any monthly salary you want to get or anything like that? I go, well, yeah, what do you think? And I go, that'd be great. I love it. He goes, how about if I give you $100 a month? 
Sick. Dude, 14 years old, this guy's going to pay me 100 bucks a month. I was like, dude, let me sign on the dotted line. Yeah, yeah. So he gave me like three new wetsuits and like a $100 bill or a hundred uh, or a check for 100 bucks on the spot. Nice. Made up the contract, signed the contract. So I wrote for him for about four or five years. And then um, I uh, – Alita was big back then, you know. Oh it yeah, was, it got it, yeah, it got really big, especially when uh, Palmer started riding up. Uh, Richie uh, Richie Rudolph, Matt Keckley, yeah, you know, Lonnie Brothers, you know, all the boys started riding for those things. Yeah, so, I mean O'Neill and Rip Curl kind of dominated the, the the world market, but Alita and like Victory kind of owned like Southern, yeah, California. Southern California. Yeah, Victory Victory came on strong for a while for Huntington and Southern California. Alita. You know, Alita did very well coast to coast. And then um, it was interesting because after that year, when I was 14, staying o- over in Hawaii with the Bedros, uh, somehow when I turned 15, I wanted to come over here and I got hooked up with Bradshaw. Okay. Um, oh, I remember because um, Sundeck Clothing from Florida that used to sponsor um, uh, Kelly Slater and Sean Slater and Matt Keckley. Well, they somehow got a hold of me or my dad saying, hey, I want to see if your son wants to ride for Sundeck. I'm like, what? Huh? I've never seen him in the magazines, you know? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, because I'm going to go to Hawaii. And they said, oh, we'll hook you up with Bradshaw because Bradshaw was on Sundeck at the time. And so I came over here and stayed with Bradshaw. And then Kelly and Sean came over and stayed when Kelly was like, I don't know. He was little. He was little, little. Um, he's like almost four years younger than me, and I was 15. So he's like 11 or 12 at the time. Yeah. Wow. Me and Sean, me and Sean are like the same age. And uh, so, you know, that's how we met and became friends. And then I started living with Bradshaw. For, I think I lived with him for like five more years maybe. Wow. Four or five more years. And that was it. You know, Alita and Sundak. And then I had the other stuff that came around and – so, oh, there was trim. There was trim clothing too in between Quicksilver and Sundeck. What was trim? Trim. Yeah, Who? Scott Scott Pod Van Walos rode for trim. With me. Yeah, <laughs> what, just saw him was the trim other day from? down here in San Clemente. Trim was from San Clemente. No, no, Scott's from um, Huntington, but trim was from this guy that started it, and he actually sponsored the uh, the World Cup over here. Uh, wow. Sunset when I was 14, but my dad was being an ass and wouldn't let me come over here because he made me work for him. <laughs> I so. never even heard of Trim. I don't remember Trim. I don't remember either. Yeah, because you guys were too young. They they put uh, ma- uh, ads in the mags and stuff. Were they legit? They put, they, they put a couple ads in the magazines. Oh. Everybody made fun of me because I looked as white as a ghost. I was a 14 year old little skinny Skeletor at the time. Yeah. What was your what was, did they, what was your first ad in the mag or first mag shot? Like my first mag shot was from Mike Moyer when I was 11 years old doing off the lip full page color. Wow. And then, then next to it there was a picture of me walking um, with my board in black and white from Mike Moyer also. So I had a half page with a write up with a full page color next to it. Nice. So you were you were already getting coverage, and people knew because you're Lance's son, and you were ripping. So it's well, you know. nobody nobody knew me until that magazine. Yeah. So once I made the magazine, when the next when when that after that magazine came out, and all the boys from Hawaii came over to uh, California to surf the uh, U.S. Championships, I was sitting. I'll never forget this, but I was sitting at the entrance of the banquet, and 
I think it was in San Diego or, or down in San Clemente. I can't remember where we're at. You know, you're a kid. You never know where you're at. And um, I remember some kids walking in. I remember Brock, Brock Little walking in and Ricky Irons walking in. And I think it was Noah Badreau and maybe even Christian Badreau. I can't remember. Christian's, I think, a year younger than me and uh, Noah's a year older than me. And um, they just started looking at me, like staring at me. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Then a couple of them walked out, walked all the way in, and then I think it was Ricky that's kind of sat across from me and started looking at me. And he goes, hey. I go, yeah. He goes, are you Richie Collins? <laughs> and I went, it could have been Brock. I can't remember who, who was who. But it, and I go, I go, yeah. And he goes, so you're the one that makes all the magazines, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I went. I go, yeah, I've been in one. He goes, oh, so you're the one that's we're here to beat. I'm like, and you are. Oh, my name. I th- I came here. I think it was. At, I had to have been Ricky Irons. And mm. he, he goes, I'm from Hawaii, Rocky Point. And I'm like, oh, cool, nice. I can't wait to go over there. You know. Yeah. So, um, that's how I met all the boys over here. You know. That's and crazy. then I came over here when I was 13 and stayed right next to Ricky Irons and. We became really good friends, and oh, Marty Thomas, which used to be Marty McClurry back in the day. Yeah, he was living right there with his mom because he's from uh, Seal Beach. Yeah, and then um, I think Ricky and uh, Mark Angula said, "Hey, do you know a guy named Marty McClurry?" I know Marty Thomas. I go, no. He goes, well, he says he knows you. He's from Seal Beach. He said he grew up in competing. He's like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> and so he showed up. And he goes, hey, Richie, what's up? And I go, oh, Marty McClurry. No, what? So he changed oh, his name. So, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot of story, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the beauty of our industry. And I mean, a lot of, you know, like you meet people along the way and they, you know, surfing's a, a small, you know, industry, a small network, and you're, you're going to be friends with those guys forever. Oh yeah. Me and Ricky still talk here and there. I see, I haven't heard of from Bud Rowe for a while, but when from, uh, uh, I mean from Noah for a while, but Christian, once in a while, he says hi on Facebook, but his little brother, Mike, Micah, we always talk on Facebook. Because nice. when I was living over here with them at Waimea, though, him and his sister were like five and seven, you know, yeah. just little little toddlers. Tell us so. more uh, about uh, surfing Hawaii and, and, and having uh, Ken Bradshaw freaking get you out there, you know? Like, well, it's, it's interesting because when I started staying with him, I brought this 6'10 over and a 7'6". It was a 610 double wing square tail and a, a 76 double wing swallow. And I pretty much rode those boards every day at sunset. And then I had the shorter boards for Rocky Point and stuff like that. And learning how to surf Rocky Point, you know, when I first came over here and stayed with the Angulas was pretty scary. You know, you got the death rock and stuff like that. And then the next year when I stayed with the Bedros, you know, walking all the way from YMA all the way up to Rocky Point and stuff. And then they were hitchhiking, and I was scared to hitchhike, you know, but that was the way to do it around here. Learning how to surf all these spots. And then when I started staying with Bradshaw, it was like, you better be up by 5.30 in the morning and be ready because we're paddling out at dark. <laughs> every day. And He's on Every it. single day, no matter what. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was closing out or if it was two feet. We were paddling out at dark. Yeah. And he, I would be asleep. Well, I couldn't really sleep because, you know, the waves are breaking. There's cars driving by his house all night. And every single morning, I'd be like, my eyes wide open, waiting for the knock on the door. 
the, the few times it was a knock on the door, get up, we're out there. How big is it? It doesn't matter. Grab your 6'10". Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Did he make you surf Waimea? Um, no, he never did. Okay. So, uh, because it was never really a spot to compete. It yeah. was just because he was competing in the Triple Crown. But, oh, well, he didn't do pipe and Hollywood. He just surfed Sunset. So we yeah. caddied for each other. So I would stay with him before the contest. He taught me how to caddy. He taught me where to line up. He taught me which is which, the swell directions, how to time everything. I mean, it was like, it was like throwing 20 years of experience into one in session a month. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have to learn. Yeah. And, and he says, you make a mistake out here, you die. Yeah. Simple yeah. fact. And we didn't, we didn't walk the beach and paddle out. We paddle out through camis at dark. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, dude, there's boulders over here. He's all, just follow me. I know the route. I know the path. There's a path you take. You go right out. And all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to get hit by these bumps and it's pitch dark. And it's like you can just see a crack of light with the mountains. It's like you're scared out of your mind. Yeah, I was 15. I was freaking out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Imagine. So every single winter, I lived with them for like two months. What was and your favorite spot out there? I, I kind of picture you liking uh, Haleiwa a lot. No, Sunset, my sunset? favorite. I love, the, I love the rush of paddling into the wave and by the way i'm afraid of heights so every time i paddle in waves i usually shut my eyes <laughs> before i take off and um no way yeah i, I can't like i said my first my first trip over here when i was 13 the first big wave i took off on west peak sunset i paddled into one i i look I, I freaked out i panicked i pulled back you know but the second wave i took off on i had to close my eyes to make to drop in that is you know incredible. so um <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, that first year I, I stayed with them. The second year I stayed with them, um, I brought some more boards over, and then he then he said, "Hey, let me make you a board." I go, "Okay, let's do a Richie Col- let's do a, uh, a Richie Bradshaw Kenny Collins model." <laughs> it sounds good. So we went over there into his bay and we shaped it. Used my my outlines and his outlines. We put both of my dad's and my expertise and Ken's expertise together, we shaped a board and it worked insane. I was on pump, uh, filthy habits riding that board. Is that and, the board uh, you're riding? That's cool. Board board was insane. I still have it. Nice. Awesome. Oh, it's not in two pieces. It's in one. Nice. So, so going back to like early, like, you know, you're competing in the NSSA PS, you know, the PSAA was kind of taking place. Was there, was there, you know, um, was there ratings like where you oh, had yeah. to like, or you just like trials, you know, did you, how did, well, how did that work first year? Well, there was, there was ratings. The, um, the, uh, you know, say explore division that came up with the pro-am series, uh, the pro series that was ratings. And it's been a long time, but my first year didn't go so well because like I said, when I was, 14 i was still learning yeah and when i when I, the winter of 13 when i was over here for december i grew um an inch and a half in nine days what okay <laughs> so when i came back in december for christmas when i was over here for nine days i was sick with strip throat and everything every for like the whole time full fever but i still made myself go surfing 
because I'm the only one on the North Shore by myself. All the kids are supposed to be in school, and it was empty. Nobody surfing at all. Wow. So I found my way around V-Land, you know, and so that following year in 1983, I, when I came home that January, my dad made me a 5'3", because I brought a 5'1 to Hawaii, and I was taller than it when I came home in nine days. So I grew like an inch and a half to two inches. Okay. In nine days. I'm not kidding you. That's so okay. weird. Did you have gnarly groin pains and like I was so I was so messed up because I was a, I was a windsurfer too. So I windsurfed backyards 8 to 10, 12 feet with Rob Nash back in the day watching him windsurf. I was really into windsurfing at the time too. Kim Bradshaw got you into windsurfing? No, no. My dad did with Steve Walden back in 1979, I think, when windsurfing started coming wow. on. Um, that's when my dad started doing windsurfing. And he, and he sponsored the number two, one of the number two windsurfers in the world, Court Larned. And he um, also sponsored the, I think it was in the Olympics back in 1980 or 82, I can't remember, the, the guy that won. Uh, in the Olympics, um, in windsurfing, I can't remember his name, but my dad ended up making like over a hundred boards for Germany and stuff like that. Windsurfers. But, um, so when I got that board made me a five, three and I, you know, I glassed it and put the fins on and sand and everything. Cause I was building boards by then. I, by the end of January, I was an inch to two inches taller than it. <laughs> so I was stuck. Puberty hit. <laughs> I was stuck on a 5.8 laser zap. By the way, laser zaps when they came out were the worst board. Sorry, Shane around the worst board ever known to mankind. Yeah. Some people liked them, but they sucked. Uh, um, my dad stuck me on this 5.8 laser zap and would not make me another board. Why? And I was so pissed off because his board did not work. Because he didn't want to make me another board, and I grew out of it because he was a selfish son of a bitch and wouldn't make me any boards. <laughs> Stop yeah. growing. You're you're you're, yeah. you're costing me money. Exactly. So thank God, in about a few more months, four fins came out, so he had no choice but to make me a four fin. <laughs> he made me a five six four fin and it worked really good, and that's when the the new designs of fins came out and stuff. So um being little like that, growing that much, surfing against all the pros that were already established in that NSSA series, going stepping up to the PSWA series that Joey Brown started, that was a big turning point because in the NSSA, I would make it out of maybe one heat, maybe two heats, never ever did any well, didn't, never did good at all. Yeah. And But I still finished in like the top 16 out of like 50 surfers, which wasn't bad. Yeah. And then finally, finally I made a final and finished second. Nice. Where was that? In which contest? That was the NSSA... It was down in San Diego somewhere. I think it was Torrey Pines maybe. Okay. You know how bad Torrey Pines is for contests. Uh, 15-minute paddle out from the beach start, closing out, four to six foot. You got 15 <laughs> minutes to catch four waves. In the final, you get 15 minutes, six waves. Seriously? <laughs> so retarded. On. Dumbest thing you ever heard. Hot, yeah. Four it, man it, and you have to pay for that too. You have to yeah, pay the money for, yeah. for that. Yeah. And How many people I, in a heat? I won 85. It was, it was 125 for first and 85 bucks for second. <laughs> How many people in the heat? Four. No, Four. six. Six, six yeah. guys in the heat. In the final. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got 85 I. bucks. So when was the turning point where, where your talent and, and being a pro 
Well, what happened was after that year and then the PSAA started up, I think I was 15. Yeah, I was 15 because I couldn't drive yet. Um, I met some boys from Oceanside and I pretty much started going down there and making some of my friends uh, boards down there and uh, hanging out with those guys and became part of their crew down there. Okay. And uh, so I pretty much started living down there a lot. Um, Who were those and, guys? Lambrizi um, or? Huh? Not Lambrizi, right? Well, Lambrizi came on the scene because, you know, he was a professional boogie boarder, from what <laughs> I know. And so I guess he was getting picked on or people were making fun of him or something like that. So he started surfing. <laughs> and and he hate and he's the kind of guy that's fully competition, like gnarly com- com- competitor. Yeah. Biggest ass in the water you've ever met. Wait you a know? minute. We're talking to Richie Collins, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was – where do you think I learned it from? You think I just learned it because I learned it? What, Great Mongol, Mark uh, – uh, 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 John Palmer. Dave Palmer, Craig Coleman, yeah, uh, uh, Sonny, <laughs> not not Sonny. No, it was way before that. I learned all this stuff way before that. That's so I learned awesome. if you if if you show up to the beach at a contest and you think you're a pro and you ask me for wax, I will kick your ass. <laughs> Don't ever ask me for wax. Okay. If you walk up to somebody and you look at them, you meet them, you stick your hand out and you try to crush their hand. Okay. <laughs> There are no friends in this industry. Everybody is your enemy. Okay, you guys have no idea the way I was brought up. Yeah. So, who, is, who is the most intimidating and who is the worst? Was it um, Bam Bam? No, not him whatsoever. Um, it was pretty much everybody. Here's the most intimidating person: the one, the guy that looks at you with a bad stare and says nothing. <laughs> And, and, the, the, the silent killer and that was mike crookshank oh wow wow yeah. he's the one you didn't mess with is he, he a big boy back there? there oh yeah he would just sit there he'd look at you <laughs> and turn turn away and you just knew he was gonna rip you one next to the other wow <laughs> there was crazy. there was no beating that guy that guy would just he wouldn't just sit on you he would just being around him, just the ore around him in yeah. the water and even on land was yeah. like you could feel the spears and the bombs <laughs> going off into your head, your body. You just did not get near him. That's funny. It took me a couple years. You know, I, I think about a year and a half for him to finally come up and shake my hand. That's wow. And show me respect. So, so I, I think I steered you the wrong way with the – because you were talking about Oceanside, and, and that was like one of the turning points. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Oceanside, because I was staying with my friends down there, and they would take me. I'd go, hey, dude, I'll shape you a board if you come pick me up because I got a contest down there. I won't charge you for the shape, but you just pay for the glass job. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay, fine. My buddy would come pick me up and drive me down there. He'd take me back and forth from the contest, and I would sleep on his couch. And uh, Tom Jones, good old Tom Jones, and I met all of his friends. Um, uh, Mark McGinnis, uh, Robbie, uh, rest in peace. Robbie is a great guy, super good surfer. Chewy Reyna, uh, Chewy. We were, me and Chewy were always at each other's throats because we were competing against each other. Yeah. And uh, uh, my really good friend, Eddie Easterman, um, uh, Jamie, uh, I can't remember his last name. And then uh, another really good friend, we became really good friends with Paul Vasquez. Uh, just full crew, man. Yeah. Got in, to, got in with the full crew. 
did did you get like uh, hit up by by some of your friends? You said you said you you were shaping boards for for your buddy to pick you up. Was there other guys? Yeah. Oh yeah, for rides. Hey, um, I need a favor. I'll shape you a board for free. You just pay for everything else, and I won't. You won't have to pay for that. I mean, dude, gas prices back then were like what fifteen twenty five cents a gallon or something like that. Thirty cents a gallon back when nineteen eighty three or something. You know, yeah. they're super cheap, and you know, I I get paid ten or fifteen bucks to shape a board. You know, and then they wouldn't have to pay the ten bucks, and ten bucks is like a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was it was a big deal back then. Win win so. for everybody. You get experience, you get rides, yep. you get to you know improve your shaping skills, and yep. uh, you know connect with your boys. So yeah, like, you know, going down to Oceanside too, and they, you know, actually, you know, who was a gnarly competitor? Um, uh, oh man, he's a shaper uh, back then. Everybody got his boards back then. Um, you know who else was not? Uh, the Barr brothers. They oh, were yeah. David and Paul Barr. Oh my yeah. gosh, those two guys were heavy, and yeah. they didn't show me any respect for almost two years. Yeah. David Barr showed me some respect, but Paul, I don't think he started talking to me till I was like sixteen or seventeen. <laughs> so, but um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael? Uh, was it Mike? Aaron? Mike? Michael? Michael Burns? Is that who it was? Uh, Burn surfboards. Burn surfboards. Michael Not Barron. Mike, what was it? Barron. Michael. Barron? Yeah, Michael Barron. Yeah. Down there, I think that's yeah. He was a heavy competitor, man. Huh. Talk about a scratcher. Yeah. And he'd scratch your eyeballs out if you weren't paying attention. You wouldn't even know who did it. Yeah. So after yeah. after that second place uh, finish, what was the next big contest you won? Do you remember? Well, I don't really ever remember winning anything. I just always placed. Um, but when the PSAA started, God, it was a nightmare, man, because everybody went – the NSSA thing kind of dropped off. The PSAA Joy Brands thing took off, and, man, there was more guys starting to surf that than I didn't even know about. Yeah. I mean it was – I mean these guys were coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of the freaking woodworks, you know? Yeah, because this, this is like Dino Andino – Shane well, this, is, this is way before Dino and Dino oh, and those guys. The other guys didn't even compete then yet. Okay. With they're still doing the NSSA amateurs. Okay. They weren't allowed to do the PSAA yet. You know, those guys didn't start those guys didn't turn pro till they're eighteen. Okay. So and Dino I think is a year older than me, maybe, year and a half or something like that. Okay. So um when I was doing all these, these are the big boys, man. These are the when Jim Hogan's Mike Parsons and stuff started surf well Mike t- Mike couldn't surf it because he was in the top sixteen, but Jim Hogan's the McNulty's. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys don't know. You ever try to get two of McNulty's in a heat? Give me a break. When you get Brian and um, Terrence, Brian and, uh, Terrence, no, Terrence wasn't doing it. He was amateur. It was Brian and his older brother, uh, Trevor. Trevor? No. No. Uh, Brian McNulty and Terrence. Brian. Uh, uh, dude, sorry, I can't remember your name right now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, those two guys in a heat, you might as well not even surf a heat. Yeah. It was like, dude, they'd sit on one side of you, and you could never go. Was was Andy you know? Fomenko somebody to, to mess oh, with? Oh, Anthony Fomenko, yep. Yeah. He was mellow, though. He was mellow. He wasn't a scratcher. He was mellow. He was a silent and deadly partner out there. Yeah. You know, he would just take you out without even you knowing it. <laughs> so, um, uh, but that's kind of how I learned. You know, I'd go out there, and I'd just go out there, and I'd kill one heat. And I'd get out there and lose my next heat. Kill one heat, lose the next heat. It was just ongoing. And finally, I make it out two heats. You know, at 15, 16, got better and better. And so by the time I was 16, 
you know, I got more confidence. I learned more strategies coming into Hawaii and living with Bradshaw's, you know, started to surf in the uh, triple crown over here, sunset comps and, um, you know, trying to get in a pipe, but it wasn't easy trying to get in a hall. Eva wasn't easy, easy. Yeah. Um, but you know, learning all that by the time, uh, I was, uh, was at 85, 86, I think it was 86 when I turned 17 is when I started doing good in the, in the PSAA and I got more known over here in, over in Hawaii and the triple crown made a couple, uh, gotten a couple magazine shots from over here in Hawaii, um, made a couple news articles over in Hawaii and, um, you know, I became one of the ones to beat out at sunset because I was good at it. Wow. Finished, I think I finished 17th over here at sunset one year in the triple crown in 1986. I, fin- I think I finished 17th. Okay. So, that's, and that's, that's starting from the bottom of the trials. Yeah. And there's, they were, I think they were four to six man heats back in there. They wow. Had 25 minute heats, four waves. Jeez. And Just catching four like, waves at sunset in that time period is mental, let alone in a contest. And watching, I mean, writing them all the way through vowels to get extra points <laughs> and paddling all the way back out when it's six to eight feet. There's no jet length, ski Length assistance. of ride, man. Lots of widgets. Length of ride. Hey, watching Michael Hogue pull it off was incredible. A few times, him kicking off on some big northwest peaks coming through, riding the wave all the way through, and watching him come through just jumping up, hitting those bounces, hitting the big chops, making the section, coming up. Sometimes the, the wave was perfect. Him trying to hit the lip at the end, either getting demolished or making it, that was inspiration, man. And you're like, you know, I got to do that too. Yeah. Brad Charles, all, yep, got to do it. <laughs> and, you know, Val's Reef is like a couple inches deep once you hit the lip and come down. Yeah, a little, little, little flat tabletop in there. Oh, yeah. So. So, so, um, Tell us like how you transitioned from PSAA's to ASP. Well, I actually started surfing the ASP when I was 14. <laughs> I turned pro. Because they did the trials back then. So you could sign up and do the trials or? There was, yeah, there was the trials into the main event. But you got to understand, I was one of the first members of the ASP <laughs> when I was 14. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, I grew up with Meg. We were, we, that was her first job on the ASP. And I signed up for the ASP um, membership in 1983. Uh, wow. That's Sick. when it started. Because 81, 82 is the IPS deal, and 83 is when, yeah. um, was it Ian and PT that started that? I think so. ASP? Yeah. Think? Yeah, for sure. So, and that's when I signed up. So I got to surf the Stubbies at Lowers. Nice. What? Okay, yep. They had it at Lowers, not Oceanside? Yeah. Yep, they had it at Lowers for a few first first couple years and then and then um that was one year at lowers and i think one more year or after that they didn't have it and then they went or the next year they went to oceanside north jetty but i got to surf the op pro from there on out so so what was your first big win asp my first big asp win was the o'neill coldwater classic in 1987 wow was that 87 that was 87 were you I wearing was, the Alita, I, I the black the and yellow Alita? 80s. Wait, no, 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 no. I started the tour in 1987 in Japan, and it was a it was a furlough year or something. It it skipped years. It it ran into the next year, 
So I did Japan. Um, I think was Hawaii. There's Australia, and then the, the ASP used to end in March, April, at uh, Australia. For, in Australia. Yeah. So I was rated like 40th going into um, maybe 30th or 40th, something like going into the Santa Cruz event. And I, I, you know, I used to go up there when I was a kid because I had family that lived there. And uh, showed up, and it was like eight to ten foot bombs out the big, big peaks and stuff. And there was a WSA contest going on. I couldn't paddle out. I was pissed. But anyway, I showed up with my mohawk and my <laughs> Skeletor outfit with my sister, and went out there. Went the contest was over. Started surfing, getting all kinds of stink eyes and people hassling me and giving me a hard time, and never really getting in my face, but kind of from afar. Yeah. And um, you know, that was '87. That was 1988, because that was 88. 88 so 87, okay. I started the tour, and it and it ran over to the next year in 88. Got it. So they used to do they used to run over here. So uh, Hawaii was run in December. Pipe Masters was for the you know the Triple Crown was you know in December. Yeah. November December, and then they'd go from here. They go back to Australia. Yeah. I think Pipe was actually in January. I can't remember. Someone else will will probably write in and say something, but, um, it would go over to the next year. And then from, from Hawaii, they would go to Australia for the end of the year for two months yeah, or a month or something for the last three contests of the year. So they came up that year, my first year on tour at the O'Neill Coldwater Classic went up there. Who was in the final with you? It was me and Marty Thomas. Wow. No way. Yeah, it was a heavy he contest was, because he was Team O'Neill too, right? Me and him, me and him both came through the uh, trials. Yeah, so he, was, he was riding for O'Neill then. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at WSL pulling up some stats, and you beat Sean Thompson in the semi. Yep. You beat Barton Lynch in the quarters. Yep. You beat your fellow Californian in the third round, Mike Parsons. So you, he was you, not happy because he hated me. Ah, <laughs> Mike. You beat you beat Tom. Tom Carroll in round two. So you took that out was some a heavy, heavy right dudes. There. You took out some heavy hitters. Tom Carroll in round two. And wow. you, know who hated, you know who hated me more? Who I beat in the 33rd round? Look who I beat in the 33rd round. Farnsworth. Farnsworth. He was so bent. <laughs> he was so bent. Scott, you're going to laugh. I'll never forget when I beat you. Uh, he was so burnt and pissed off at me. He hated my ass. Oh. Uh, and then I beat Tom Carroll, another goofy footer the next heat. And then Mike Parsons thought he was going to get payback for me beating Scott, and I smoked Parsons. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were filming this right now. Oh, so good. Oh. Hey, I mean, you you know, no, everybody knows you 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 wore your your passion you know on your sleeve, and you no, didn't. Dude, hold I had back. no sleeves. My sleeves were rolled up. You, you, you <laughs> didn't you didn't hold back whatsoever, and no. you know, so um, take yeah. His- it was uh, it was pumping then, right? Um, no, actually, during the trials, the waves were pretty good, and then the heat against Far- Farnsworth, the waves were actually really good, and uh, I I don't know how I beat him because Goofy Footers surf really good out there. Yeah, I might, I must have just caught the better waves because you know, like I said, when I lived with Bradshaw, he sh- he taught me how to study waves, so I would sit on the point on the cliff and study every single day the wow. waves and that's what i did so i knew what the first wave was second wave or third wave which ones to catch which ones not 
and that's kind of how I ended up beating everybody. But with Tom Carroll, it was a southwest wind. It was blown out. It was about four to six foot, choppy as can be. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. And I had these guns that I had made for Hawaii that I brought up there. So I took out this 610 um, uh, bump diamond that I had made. And I went out there and rode that in my heat. Everybody's laughing at me, walking out there in this big old gun. It helped with the oh, chatter, though, huh? The it helped with the chatter. And, and all I hear is PT. Thanks, PT. Oh, Tom Carroll, this, blah, 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 this, blah, blah. I'm like, holy crap, I'm losing. I'm like getting my ass kicked. So every time I was looking at the waves, trying to figure out which wave would be best, I picked the right waves. And I just started blowing up on these things, doing big turns, cutbacks, doing everything I could to beat Tom Carroll. And then there's PT not saying a damn thing. <laughs> oh, there's, yeah, there's Richie Collins catching a wave. You know, yeah, he's got, he wrote it, you know, whatever. And I'm like, what, bro? No, nothing. You know, I was like, dude, what's your problem? Brew, whatever. You give, know? So, give, give a shout out to the Grom. Yeah, exactly. So once I'm like, well, I just lost this heat. So, you know, back then it was like uh, different type of a judging scale and there's different numbers. And yeah. so you had to wait longer, right? So after the heat, you got to wait. And then I'm like, freaking A, man, this sucks. You know, and I'm walking up the stairs. Back then there were stairs that you could walk up. And uh, when you came out, instead of going all the way into the inside, you could just come up right there. And there's no stairs anymore. But, you know, coming up going, God, this sucks, man. I lost to Tom Carroll again. Freaking, you know. But, but you, bleep, thought, bleep, bleep. you thought you were surfing waves well, right? Oh, yeah. I thought I was ripping. Yeah. And we all do. We always think we're ripping. But, yeah. you know, I, I but, just thought, man, I'm just not good enough to beat Carol because he beat me once before and I was pissed. And everybody said I beat him. And then, you know, I'm done. Yeah. So yeah. next thing you know, I get out there. I get up and PT says, oh, well, you know, cool. You know, congratulations on the winner of the heat, Richie Collins. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so. Um, and then after that, I had Parsons and I had so much adrenaline and so much like bitterness and hatred. I just wanted to kill everybody. And I just like. Went out there and just started going nuts, you know, on every one of my heats. And I did – there was no relaxing at all. I did not hold back. I, I, I hit every single lip. I did every cutback I was supposed to do. I did not – when I caught a wave all the way in, I did not – I put my head down and kicked all the way back out and just – The fire. Out. Yeah. Now, were you always that way or was this oh, yeah. like the turning point? Always. Always that Every way. heat. Every single heat. Try to teach my daughter same thing. I don't care if you're free surfing or in a heat. You get done catching away, you kick and you scratch and you paddle back out as fast as you can. What um, who and when and how did you get your nickname? Well, one year at the OP Pro, I don't remember what year it was. It could have been the year I beat Tom Curran in 1989. It could have been a prior year. I can't remember. So you but, weren't you weren't Skeletor yet in in no I was not Cold War. Um, Tom okay. Care Tom, Tom no. Uh, Dave Palmerter, I think, was up on the stands talking with Carl Weezer or somebody, and they were very interested in why I threw so much spray for such a skinny little runt. <laughs> and um, so they started talking about it. He goes, yeah, it's like you go out there and surf against this kid, and he's like – he's got arms like a skeleton, like Skeletor, and that's how it stuck. So yeah. Dave Palmerter – Maybe so, Skeletor. So, when, did, when did you you, – you, you had that growth spurt early, but, I mean, you're pretty tall. What are you, 6'2"? No, six, I was, should have been about 6'1", 6'2", but since I broke my back windsurfing when I was 14, uh, I um, 
blew out all my discs in my lower back and I had nothing left and it grew my back grew back crooked and when I was 18 I, I went paralyzed a few times and my first year on tour when I went over to Europe I kind of went paralyzed and I came back had enough and got x-rays and Dr. Tim Brown uh, looked at me goes I don't know how the hell you're walking let alone surf or let alone surf let alone you should you should be in a wheelchair paralyzed is that 88 that was 87 seven yeah and he goes you got two choices you can eat we can either do surgery and you probably won't surf for another year to two years or we can try to straighten your back and build the muscles around it because you have no cartilage you have no discs in your lower back you're missing three discs wow so I said he looked at me he goes how are you doing what you do and I go because I have um, very bad ADHD, PTSD, whatever you want to call it, and I'm very angry and pissed off at the world, and nothing's going to stop me from getting what I want. Wow. So, so why the mohawk and why the gloves? Okay, so – Apes. So Ape gloves. And nice – like in – Because you were Skeletor nine, before in, Skeletor. In, I think in 1985, I was living with Bradshaw. And I was rock, watching Rocky Balboa. Okay. And uh, motivational movie. He. We're talking Mr. Right, T here, right? It was new. It was brand new. It had just come out, and it was now on HBO. And uh, Bradshaw had HBO, and with Mr. T. <laughs> so if you go back and you watch that movie, and Mr. T, and between Mr. T and Rocky Balboa. No gain, no pain, no gain. Yeah. I took that literally and went in that direction. And, and then I was watching football once, I think the same year, and they did this article on Bosworth. <laughs> and from there, I got the no pain, no gain thing gone. And then the next year, I started shaving my head. And then I think about a year later, all these pretty boys like Jamie Brissick and George Holes with their long, blonde, beautiful hair, all these guys running around like they're just cute and they want the girls after them. I just said, I said, F you guys, I'm going to shave my head into a freaking mohawk and just be the only person that nobody can recognize. Yeah. Dude, you and destroy, and destroy you out in the water. Exactly. So it's kind of – 88 was the year where you kind of announced your, your like, hey, I'm here. 87. 87. And, and, was it, and were you on Billabong already? Yeah, 86, 86 was pretty much the year that me and Lambrizi were toe-to-toe for winning the PSAA uh, uh, tour. And um, I had just signed with Billabong in November with Bob Hurley. Because Quicksilver turned me down and uh, said I wasn't good enough and I was too old. Uh, Danny Kwok, by the way. And um, I uh, decided to say, okay, fine. And then PT, I talked to PT and he said, hey, uh, let me call uh, the guys over at Billabong and talk to them. And then he called them up and then I got a phone call back. And PT had a meeting between me and Bob and me and Bob Hurley decided to meet up. We talked about it and he, we signed a contract and – 
We he shipped me off to uh, Natividad with Brad Gerlach, Gary Clisby, Dave Kennedy, and um, uh, one of the boys. Oh shoot, I don't want to forget his name, and I'm forgetting his name from San Diego. What a good surfer down there. And we got epic Natividad, and that's where I learned how to ride a barrel when I was 17. Nice. And after I learned how to ride that barrel, man, I, that's it. I said, that's it. Nothing can hold me back now. How, how incredible is that that's, that wave down there when it's I was in? getting barreled for so long I had to jump out, jump off. Wrap <laughs> <laughs> it. Hey, yeah, Sean, it Collins, Sean Collins was one of my first sponsors too, Wave Track back in the day. Yeah. Before Surfline. And um, he was there with us. And he was tracking. He was tracking our barrels and said – the, the days that we were here and you getting barreled was that I tracked it. You literally took off from Huntington Pier and got barreled to Newport Pier. <laughs> That's how long you were in the barrel. That's how many I got and how long I was in there. So when was Filthy Habits? Huh? When was Filthy Habits? Is that 87 or 86? After, or? after I signed with Billabong in 86, I think it was, um, when I did the tour – uh, I got to be friends with Sonny because we started the tour together and talk about Clash of the Titans, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> man, my... Filthy Habits, 1988. Did you guys get along? Or were you... <sighs> ah. I know, Sonny. It's... It's, uh... Yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not where we want, to, want him to be. Yeah. We became brothers... I mean, like real brothers at each other's throats, wanting to beat each other up, choosing each other off, pushing each other around, pushing each other to the limits, surfing against each other. Just. I mean, as a competitor, you guys were pretty much like two of the same, you know, P, but, you know, he was a Hawaiian, you're the California guys, but as far as. Hey, he was my pepper. I'm his yeah. You know, he's black, I'm white. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, there was no gray. There was no in between between us, man. We were just, it was just us, you know, we just, and it was gnarly. And starting tour with him, it was like, we were two kids, man, that just were out to conquer the world. Yeah. And to to kick each other asses, you know, we got to, got to be really good, better friends with Todd Holland. I got to be even better friends with John Shimoka. I met Luke Egan, Matt Hoy, you know, Nikki Woods, Jason Buttonshaw, Matt Branson, Scat, uh, uh, Kim, uh, you know. So they, did they, uh, did, I mean, did Bill Bong send, send you over to Australia for the filming yeah, of that movie? Yeah, yeah, basically Bob gave me a contract. I signed a contract, $300 a month and a $10,000 travel budget. And, uh. Your, your guys' part, you guys shared a part, right, in that, in the, and filthy habits and honestly yep. that's like one of the best so that after doing the tour with them for a year um bob wanted to do a video and um at the time you know it was time to do a video and he was working together with uh gord merchant on putting a video together and he tried to figure out what to do and next thing you know we came out with it and had some great music behind it and uh uh, Bob said, well, where do you want to go to do it? And I came up with a place to go to, and I had to make a few phone calls, and I was denied, and I had to beg and plead. And um, the doors were opened, and so I was allowed to go over there 
and take Sonny with me. Nice. And uh, we got to shoot. Nice. So we got our footage, and that's where we got our footage, and then the other guys got their footage from other places. Yeah. But your guys' part was fucking sick. Yeah. Forever etched in my mind. it, It was incredible, and that was a very good experience for Sonny also. Unfortunately, puppy dog Sonny, back in the day, was always head over heels, freaked out about his girlfriend all the time and he kept fighting me wanting to go home go home like no and i said like almost like hold him down and make him stay so but it was cool i met some good people and uh became got got to know more friends and uh good times yeah yeah so i I love i love when you're you know they did the quotes and filthy habits and yeah. Your quote, even in California, I get scared sometimes because I want to hit the lips so hard that I know I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And the, don't but, forget the other one. If I, if I can beat myself, I can't be beat. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, and that's true because if my head starts playing tricks on me, yeah. But if I, I you know, when I, <clears throat> when I grew up competing as an amateur, my dad wouldn't feed me. So I'd literally starve all day. And have a couple sips of water down the WSA days. And me and the kids back in the WSA days, we stayed in our wetsuits all day and ran around like chickens with our head cut off. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine by the end of the day what I was like and my friends. We are done. <laughs> I mean, I'd come home for the weekend and couldn't even go to school the next day because I'd be blind because I couldn't see. And my face would be red as like I took, put my face on a frying pan for yeah. an hour. No one wore sunblock back then. No. There was no thing. <laughs> First sunblock that came out was um, – uh, bullfrog. bullfrog and that burned the hell out of your eyes oh my gosh that came out during the op surf shop challenge and we were all stoked and we put it on our nose and then we put it above our heads and then we jumped in the water and it just freaking went our eyeballs and <laughs> it just it, it never like soaked in it was just an oil and it just yeah burned. but it worked it worked yeah. great yeah. yeah so so Take us back to okay. After '88, you you won the Cold Water Classic. Was that your first big win? Like first big win. Okay. And then after I won, it was great because I think I got the way I did my contracts was I got was based off incentives, so I I got paid less salary because I like to work for my money, like I always have, and everybody always wanted to give more salary, but I always took less but a bigger incentive, and so that's how I made more money. So that month, I ended up making ten thousand dollars in January of nineteen eighty-eight. Nice, big, the <laughs> highest-paid surfer that's a ever. Big month. Yeah. So, so huge. Then, so then, what other contests uh, did you finally <clears throat> win? Do you remember? Um, well, after that, I was on. I was. Um, I think I was in the top thirty after that contest, and then um, I went to Australia and lost every first heat. <laughs> Why is that? You just got complacent or I just I don't know. I was just my head grew too big. I couldn't fit through walls and uh, <laughs> doors and I just wanted to kill everybody too much. I didn't have a time to relax and enjoy my win. And uh, I just I you end up turning into a different person that I shouldn't have and I did and I went over and lost every first heat and the last contest was at Manly and uh I uh, went out in my heat and I lost and I was rated 31st and then um, 
uh, Dave Palmer's heat showed up, and he didn't show up for his 33rd round. And since I was the next highest seed, Al Hunt called me up and said, hey, you want to surf this 33rd round? Because Dave's not around, so you're the next seed. I need someone to surf it. You want to surf it? I go, hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ran down there, surfed the heat, lost anyway, but I still got 300 bucks, and I finished 30th. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dave Parmeter finished 31st. <laughs> How funny. They got three back in. You made some money. That's epic. Yep. So I uh, made the top 30. How long were you on the tour for? Uh, from 1987 till 1995. Okay. So 87-88 was one year. 88 was another year. That was a hell year that no one ever wants to live through again. We did seven and a half months of tour with 32 contests. Whoa. Add that up. Wow. Add that up. ASP had 32 professional contests in a seven and a half month year. Wow. Try well, to add that up. Yeah, that's uh, a How couple many weeks or in a year. Yeah. 52. <laughs> right? Try seven and a half months, 32 contests. Dude, yeah, that's I'm, crazy. I'm on the like ASP or you know WSL and, and 88's not showing up at all as like a tour stat page. It's weird. Yeah, it was it was a very short, long, miserable tour. I forgot who I was. I lost my soul and um, I was sick pretty much the whole time. And that year, I think, is the year that uh, uh, um, Doug Silva lost his mind and just walked away. And uh, a few other guys lost their heads, too, walked away. And um, I came home from a long trip from Brazil. And I walked right past, I was sick for a couple weeks. I walked right past my dad and said, hey, let's go home. And he looked me right in the eyes, and I walked right by him. And I got about 10 more feet ahead of him. I turned around. He's still looking for me. And uh, Matt, Matt Hoy and Luke Egan and Sonny walked off. where They were behind me. And he goes, and I could hear my dad. He goes, hey, guys, where's Rich? He didn't even recognize me. Really? That's how wow. messed up I was. Wow. But you rebounded back in 89, came back strong. Well, I did good in 88. I finished 14th in 88. Sick. And then um, I did I, – I placed pretty good. I think in 88 I got fifth at Bells if you want to check that. Um, I think uh, I got second over in Europe in um, either Lockenau or Hasegor. Might have been Hasegor. So – um, I had a couple good results in 88 that put me in 14th. Nice. That was a good good bonus from uh, Billabong. What was the uh, top 16, top 10, top 5? How was your like, incentive breakdown? Making the top 16 was 15 grand. Making the top 10 was, um, I think, 20 or 25 grand. Finishing fifth, I think, was around 30. Fourth was like 40. Dang. I think third was uh, around 50. Second was 60. I think if I would have won the title, it would have been close to maybe 100 grand. Epic. Um, That's a huge amount of money back then. Yeah, but like I said, my salary was low. Yeah. I just had enough to where I could do the tour. Yeah. And um, pay my bills for my winnings, which the winnings back then weren't very much. Yeah. yeah. I think the most I ever won was, I think, $46,000. 
uh, in a year. In a so, year. Yeah, in a year. Wow. I think the highest. I think the highest winnings in one year. I think was eighty or a hundred grand. Nothing. I think that was Curran. Yeah. Or or Damian Hardman. Probably one of the two. Those, Bart, those guys. I can't remember one yeah. of those guys making finals every time. Yeah. So winning um, that OP Pro. I mean, in '89. I mean, that's considered your local, you know, hometowns. Yeah. You know, Southern California. I mean, you went up against. I mean, the the best guys you could you could you know go against. Yeah. It was crazy. It was a crazy year because that year that year in Japan, I went over and lost my first heat in Japan. I lost my head. Came back and uh, uh, just. But to beat current and put that together and uh, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I, I, it was like God was coming after me and wanted me to pay attention to him more. And then that was in 1989 and uh, came down to me and spoke to me and said, look, from now on, this is how it's going to be. And I said, OK. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, from there on out, it's been a pretty interesting, tight relationship with God. And uh, he's blessed me. Amen, brother. We hear that. But going back, was that OP final like the best of three like final? Like what did they do that in that year? I don't no, no, remember. No. The best no. of three was my first year on tour when I was in down in South Africa when I was in a semifinals against Graham, Graham Wilson. And I had no idea. It was two out of three. And I went out and smoked them. <laughs> and I came in and said, yes, I made the first final. And next thing I know, no, it's and I, I'm like, cool. And I go to take off my wax on my board because it was all jacked up. And he said, no, you're surfing right after this heat. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? But <laughs> wait a minute, why is Barton paddling back out in this heat? And then he just win the. They go, no, it's two out of three. Wow. And I'm like, what? That's so crazy that they used to do yeah. that. I was not happy. What were your favorite uh, tour stops? So then I ended up losing in that against Graham Wilson. I got third that contest, so I was pretty pissed. <laughs> but you got him back, you know, some other times, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I did. But still, that was like a big deal, you know, first year on tour. So I got a first and third my first year, I think. That's great. Yeah. So South Africa was awesome, though. Me and Sonny hanging out together, that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was the best trip. Now, we took a, we, we rented a car and because uh, he couldn't drive yet. He was still 17. And uh, dude, we we I took a brand new Ford freaking sports car, and we went ballistic in that thing. Almost rolled it. <laughs> we literally went up on two wheels and almost rolled, and we blew out the tire on our way to our banquet. <laughs> in the mud, in the rain, we had to change a flat tire in the mud. That's crazy. On your way so, to a banquet? What's that, bud? On your way to a banquet, you did that? Yeah, after uh, before the contest started. That's so crazy. The um, Spurs Steak Ranch contest was the, most, the best contest in the world because it was the uh, a mobile contest. Mm. So you got to surf all these different spots. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I used to yeah love love when they would when they make make you guys surf different spots. I mean, uh, there, Hawaii was kind of the only spot I knew they would do that. You know, based on the conditions. Well, Hawaii is always stuck to one spot unless the conditions did change. Yeah. So most of the time you just stay in one spot. So the only time they did that was when they did the billabong, when they did a mobile billabong where there was going to be a pipe, haliva, or sunset. But the locals didn't really like that that much, so they kind of stopped doing that. And they just ended up taking the billabong and leaving it at pipe because that, that, the tour guys and the, con- on the uh, 
pros, they wanted to in at one spot. And that's how the Triple Crown just stayed the Triple Crown because Sunset was already taken. The locals were pissed, which I would have been pissed too because all of a sudden you got this mobile contest and you're going to take up Sunset when it's good, beat it, go back down to pipe. Because there's guys that don't surf pipe that just want to surf Sunset. There's guys that want to don't really care to surf Sunset, just want to surf pipe. Yep. And locals at Hall Eva, man, you got to respect the locals that surf Hall Eva every single day. Yeah. You know, And yes, the locals, hey, we'll give you 10 days and that's it. No more. So yeah, they they want to yeah get their beaches back. Yeah, I mean I mean look at Huntington now. You go to Huntington, there's a freaking damn contest every damn weekend. Yeah. It's like, dude, Huntington mayor, cancel that crap out, get rid of it. It's you so know? bad. Every single time I go to Huntington to go surf with my girls, I can't even go surfing because there's a damn contest going on. It's 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 pretty bad for sure. They need there to they need be, some... There should only be twelve contests a year, one a month. That's it. That's it. I hear you on there. It's just ridiculous, man. If There's you plenty go, of other good beaches up and down the coast. Yeah, if you want to go have a contest, honey, go to Golden West. Go to 9th Street like you used to, Taco Bell Reef. Go down go down the street, down to 1st Street or something. Go away from the pier. Yeah. You know, yeah. pier is a local spot where people like to go and hang out with their family and, and surf and have fun. I always found it amazing that they, you know, even the, the Bud Tour, the PSAA, they, they would hold it either at Bolsa or River Jetties. Yeah. They wouldn't even hold it yeah. like at the pier. You know, nope, they went always that one contest that one year, drug use, life abuse. I had that contest down at Brookhurst. Yeah. So that, um, uh, what's his name one from Australia? Uh, it was cool. I got to work with Byron Scott too at the time. Um, uh, shoot. Uh, Brett, uh, uh, Brett oh. from Australia. God, yeah, yeah, I cannot yeah. believe I he wrote, he wrote uh, that. Anyway, whatever. I want to I want to hear about your 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 most notorious win at the Bells Classic Rip Curl, where you finaled and only really surfed a half a half a heat because your your back was broken. Well, what happened was, it was pretty good waves the whole contest. It was like three to four foot, super clean conditions, not like breaking regular bells, but just kind of like a good right point break. Yeah, and um, I really no. don't like right point breaks that much, but I dreamed about bells my whole life, and um, you know Kira and Deba and all those places in Australia, and Burley and um, you know I've been at bells a few times. Scott, hold on a second, guys. Uh, basically, I was staying in a caravan thing by myself and doing my own thing, not hanging out with anybody. Uh, I think I rented a car driving back and forth. I can't even remember. And uh, just didn't wear shoes all week. <laughs> Walked around in my sweatpants and a, and a shirt with sweats on. And I used my sweatpants as my, my shoes, you know. <laughs> and uh, just kind of hung out and studied the waves every single day. Surfed my heat one. And in and, and 92, it was the first year they came up with the Red Robin system. To where they switched over, how they did it, um, how they do it now. Yeah. From the back in the old four-one decision, three-two decision to the new, um, where they, you know, do the scoring system. And when you weren't, if you win your heat and have a certain percentage, you go to this, you go to that. It was kind of confusing, and people were complaining. I didn't even care. I just wanted to surf bells because it was perfect conditions. And I just kept winning heats, and then uh, the semis came along, and the waves got really bad, and I had Gary Elkerton in my heat, and um, 
there was this big rock in the middle of the lineup and I kept looking at the thing and it was in my way and I was like, forget this rock, man. I'm tired of it. You couldn't get around it. So we we're kind of like me and um, Elkerton were surfing behind it doing off the lips and I just like, you know what? That's it. Done. I took off in a wave, did a snap and went full speed out that rock and right before I hit the rock, I kind of did a, I kind of angled myself straight to the cliff and waited for the water to go around the rock, did a bottom turn around the rock and came around and hit the lip again. And people just flipped out because there was only about 10 yards between the rock and the cliff. Okay. Yeah. And that's like something that's impossible to do. And I've always done the impossible, like shooting, uh, Honolulu pier back in the day that no one's ever did. I did it like back in, I don't know, 86 or 87. And, uh, unless someone else did it before me, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, taking off behind the bull down at new pier in South Africa, getting barreled, just missing the pier and people freaking out on that thinking I'm nuts. So, uh, those were like little growing little piers. Like they yeah, don't, yeah. Through, like the waves, no, yeah, you, you can't crouch. go through them. You can't yeah. go through them, you know, and like growing up in Newport around the, the, you know, the jetty, you know, getting barreled into those landing on the jetties and stuff like that, getting drugged across the jetty and then shooting the pier, you know, at Huntington and hitting the pier at Huntington so, you know, uh, I ended up beating Gary and he was not happy at all. He hated my guts for it. And then, uh, you know, I was super excited. There's, I don't know how many thousands of people on the beach hanging off the cliffs. There was a band playing. It was, it was rock and just full concert action going ballistic. And I went up top and we were talking to the guys on when they want to start the heat. And I'm like, so we're just going to do a 30 minute heat top four waves. And I said, forget the 30-minute. Just do a 40-minute heat. Why not? I don't care. Yeah. Get, yeah. Give the crowd an extra 10 minutes of excitement. Yeah. You know, get the band going. Let's have fun. Now, dude, I made the I made the final bells. I'm stoked. Yeah. yeah. Win or lose, I don't Stretch care. Sing out. And, that was against, and that was against Potter, Martin yep. Potter. And me and Martin Potter, we paddled out. The heat started. And um, I, like I said, I studied the waves to the fullest extent. And... You know, he wanted to kick my ass out in the water more than anything in the world, and because he was pissed off at me because I beat him. Um, uh, what year? Back in '89, I almost beat him in the world world title race, and he was was pissed off at me. So he had the chance to get me back because I beat him during that world title title race over in Europe, and uh, so I just let him have it. He just <laughs> I let him have I let him have it the, the first wave, and he took off on the first wave, and. I knew not to take off in the first wave because I knew the second wave was always better. Yeah. So he took off on the first wave, and I'm like, okay, you know, he goes up and hits a lip, and he falls. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, and I took off on the second wave, man, and I rode it all the way down the beach, got like an eight five on it. Oh my gosh! I'm, I'm paddling back out, and a wave comes in. He takes off on the first wave again. While I'm paddling out, he kind of does a couple turns, hits the lip a few times, and he got like a six five on it. I thought they were going to give him a nine on it or something because, you know, the judges hate me. And they gave him like a six, five or a seven. I'm like, oh, cool, man. That's awesome. I'm, I'm ahead. Paddle back out, waited for the right wave, took off another wave, got like a seven, five on it. Paddle back out. You know, he caught another wave, got like a seven, five on his wave. I'm like, oh, crap, he's catching me. So I'm like really started studying it, studying it. And this all happened like in the first 15, 20 minutes. 
And next wave I caught, I just went and destroyed this wave. I go, okay, he just got a seven. I need something higher. I need to get I need to get like a nine five or something. So I pulled all the stops out, did everything I can, got like a nine five on this wave. Rode wow. all the way, hit the lip, gnarly floater, launch, air, drop, shore break, pound, right? And got like a nine five or something. Maybe it was an eight five nine. I don't I don't remember. It was just a big score. Uh, yes, that, that helps, you know. Mark Potts takes off on another wave, gets like a eight five on the scene. I'm like, crap, man. Blow for blow. Just full on like you gotta here, find that here's clip. my head take a shot he sticks his head i take a shot you know so then i get back out there and he's he, now where it's like i've got priority he's got second priority and i'm like well i'm not gonna go on the first wave so i kind of like sucker him to go on the first wave so he goes on the first wave rides it down the line and then i take off on the second wave and i'm behind him and while he's in front of me because the second one's always bigger so he's in front of me riding the wave, and I'm behind him, just bashing it behind him. So he finishes his wave, and I pass him by about 20 or 30 yards. And he just I could just see him just looking at him, just, you got to be kidding me, like shaking his head. You know, he gets like a 7.5 or an 8 on his wave, and I get like another 8.5 or a 9. So now it's like, comes down to like, there's like, we're like 25 minutes into the heat, right? And I'm sitting there going, shoot, man, he needs like a 9.5 to beat me. Yeah, he's like a perfect score to beat me, like around uh, around a nine or something to beat me, and I'm like going, crap, man, I've got like, I'm kind of like a seven two eight five is like a nine five or something like that. I need to better my seven. I need to get something better, because he's got like two eight fives, a seven five, and like a six, right? So he's he, but he needs like over a nine, and I'm like tripping out, going, okay, then the one of the, the that last wave I caught. I pulled into the I pulled into a tube, and I pulled in a little barrel, and it broke on my back, and I came out, and then that's when I launched that floater and landed it, and that's when Potter was paddling out, and as while I was paddling back out, he was sitting out there. I caught a wave, and as soon as I took off on this wave, my back went out. Oh. As soon as I started my bottom turn, my back went out because I just man, I'm gonna freaking kill this wave. I literally had to my back went out. I had to sense differently. And I went all out on that wave. And it ended up being like another 8.5 or a 9. Nice. And as soon as my back went out, I hit the lip at the end, did a floater, landed, and fell flat on my face and couldn't get out of the – barely could move. Crawled up the beach and that was it. Ten minutes left of the heat because I was at the 30-minute mark. Ten minutes left at the heat. I'm on the beach and PT's like, uh, I don't know what Richie Collins is doing, but he's on the beach sitting oh down. Oh, my gosh. He's not moving. He must have hurt himself on that last maneuver. And I'm like, no, dude, my back's out. I can't move. So Potter is sitting out there all by himself. The ocean goes flat. (laughs) Dead flat. Nothing. Remember what I said at the beginning of the story? They wanted to only do a 30-minute heat. Lucky for you, huh? (laughs) Okay. And I said, let's do an extra 10 minutes. Let's make it 40. My heat was over at 30 minutes exactly. Okay. I was done. It was like God said, look, Mr. Collins, don't ever tell people to change something. Just go with the flow because the heat is over. You never caught it though, right? You never got the wave. And Potter sat there. A couple little waves came in, but they weren't going to give him what he needed. So he ended up paddling when there was about five minutes left. And these guys came and got me from the stretcher and took me up on the, on the stand where the band was. And I never got to collect my trophy. I was in the hospital. 
sitting there for hours. Wow. That's gnarly. Nope. Never got to ring the bell. Oh. Yep. I got it on my mantle at my house. On my house. So. No, I never got to ring the bell until they invited all the past winners for their 50th. And so me and my wife went over there and I got to ring the big bell finally. Oh. Um, for whatever reason. That's okay. You're not missing anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. So. Favorite favorite tour destination? Yeah. Um, Going home. <laughs> Dude, the tour was brutal back in the day, you guys. It was it was gnarly. It took a lot out of us kids. Yeah. You know, so um, not really – Everywhere was just the same. It was never really great. I'm going. It was just like great. I'm going again. <laughs> you know. So um, it became more of a job than a fun lifestyle, and it was really difficult. So because the money wasn't really there, you didn't make much money unless you had incentives and got a couple good results. So can you guys hold on for a second? Yeah. Let's we'll see. I'm hoping I don't lose you. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, there was never really that much of a favorite tour stop. Everywhere when I first started was kind of be like my favorite tour stop. By the way, here you go right here. Frog House. Been riding for them since 1992. Nice. Longest Ooh. sponsored ever. We so, love the Frog House. House. Yeah. But um, it's just. Uh, Became a job and not, not so much yeah, fun. It, it just wasn't. It was, it was a drag. You know, you're carrying around your boards, your board bags, your boards are breaking, cracking. You know, back then you had glass on. There was no fin boxes. You know, you got charged up the ass for boards all the time. I mean, up to one time coming home from Japan, they charged us like 800 bucks just for our board bag to go to Hawaii. You know, it was out of control. Yeah. So it was nuts back in the day. And everybody's scrambling to try to get flights. The flights were always crappy. They were smoking on the plane back in the day. I mean, it was like, it was crazy. I mean, we still, you know, we were still all friends. We had fun here and there, but... It was gnarly. Yeah, you're, you're running your own little business and trying to compete at the same time, you know? Yeah. Well, plus, when I come home, I worked. I shaped boards, built boards, you know, did custom orders. I, I shaped, airbrushed, lamb, hot-coated, sanded, sold boards. You know, I did – I was never nonstop. And I surfed every day, a couple times a day, went back to the shop shaping, doing all the work. Come home for a couple days, make one or two boards overnight, couldn't sleep, you know, just uh, – waking up in the middle of the night not knowing where you are yeah literally driving on driving down the street forgetting where you're at not knowing what side of the road you're supposed to be on <laughs> you know i mean it was nuts i mean i i one time i was at home and i couldn't sleep so i jumped on my motorcycle went to go to work and i had to stop in the middle of the road and figure out where i was i literally didn't even know where i was couldn't figure out what i couldn't remember what i was doing I was, oh yeah wait a minute i'm going to work right now and I'm supposed to be on this side of the road because I'm in California, you know? Yeah, when you're hot, jet-setting like that all over, it, it, you know, you're speaking Portuguese and you're speaking Spanish and you're speaking Shoot, French and then Japan and, you know, Japanese, you're all over the place. Shoot, I just had a dream last night about that, actually. <laughs> I'm, I don't know, I think I was, I, th I might have been in Europe and this lady asked me, so are you okay? And I went, Hi, we see. Yes, uh, where am I? <laughs> I used to do it all the time. He's having flashbacks, tour flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, I always do, man. It's it's a it's it's crazy, and you know, I'm, um, 
you get all your friends that you made. Like, why don't you? You've been here so many times. Why don't you speak my language yet? I got. If I would have spoke everybody's language by now, I'd be a trend. Uh, uh, was or whatever. I. I mean. You'd be rich. Yeah, somewhere. I go. I can't even speak English, let alone your language. Yeah. So. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so you get some assistance. Yeah. What, so you did the tour up to 94, 95? Yeah. They, so, they, well, 93, 93 was a really bad year for me. I had a, my great grandma died two months before Christmas, and we were really close. And then uh, I think the day before Christmas or two days before Christmas, my grandpa died. Wow. Oof. So um, I was. After the summer of France, they were both in the hospital, and um, I think I skipped Brazil, and I stayed home to be with them, and then, um, or I might have went to Brazil f for a week or two, and I came back, and that's when my grand-grandma was really bad. and Took I just some time off. I, I couldn't go. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to stay here with my grandparents. So I skipped Hawaii that year and I lost, uh, I had a bad year in Europe too. I was, my back was out the whole time. I was having a hard time. The waves were flat and it was a bad year. It was a really bad year in 90 year, nine, 93. Oh yeah. After that, that's right. Um, I think I ended up going to Japan after that or, um, a few months, few weeks later, I think I went to Japan or something. I can't remember. But, uh, and then, uh, it was just bad. It was, it was a really messed up year. So, and then 90, 94, I, um, I quit the tour and I just did the, um, QS here and there and, uh, was getting some okay results around town. Cause you know, the, it was the bud tour now, you know, you could stay home. Yep. So I did that and I got a couple results and then I ended up, uh, winning the longboard event in Malibu. What? And, uh, yeah. I surfed the longboard event in Malibu and won that in 94. And um, South Africa was on board, and I just went. I wasn't going to go, and I just called Toby Martin from, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, shoot, can't remember the company name. And she goes, oh, you're going to go now? And I went, yep, I'm going. Okay, well, when you're on your way home from Malibu, bring me your passport. Malibu brought her my passport, met her at her house. The next day, because we're leaving the next day, she um, she uh, went to the consulate, got my stuff, met me at the airport, made the plane by 30 minutes. No way. Yeah. I showed up. She's waiting at the check-in for me. It was 30 minutes before the departure. They were waiting for me. So I threw my board bag, got on that plane, and uh, – they're like everybody's looking. All the boys from Santa Cruz and everybody, because it was a one, it was a chartered plane to go to South Africa, and everybody's like, "You're the one we we're waiting for. What the hell are you doing here? You still going?" And I looked at, I looked at everybody. I go, "I'm here to kick your asses." <laughs> so I went down there and I won. Back to back. Yeah. yeah. So I won, sick. Uh, I got, I got, uh, I won the the longboard Malibu PSAA. And um, which was an ASP event. They made the PSWA then a, part of the ASP. They paid like 10 grand actually to do that. And I got, uh, it was a four man final. I, I, I think I got second. 
I think. Something like that. I can't remember. But I made both finals and won the long... Oh, a third. I think I got third. Longboard? How, how... You're just... Because, because it's just Malibu and it's so good? Or you, you wanted to make extra money or both? I did a couple longboard events and I did one in Santa Cruz too and got fifth. My back kind of went out so I kind of had to paddle in on the longboard because I had the shortboard event still. So, and then... You know, they were, you know, the longboarders were excited to see me doing the longboarding, you know, because it was just, you know, I was the youngest guy pretty much doing it. And I was, you know, in the top 10 in the United States. I mean, top 10 in the world surfing professionally. And uh, so I did it and uh, won the, got 1500 bucks for that and another 1500 bucks or something for the, for the main event because it was a four man final, I think. I finished third in the, the shortboard. So, Sick. South African one, uh, I think it was eight thousand, which came out to uh, like almost thirty thousand rand. So yeah, money. The money, yeah, over there. Well, yeah, back our, our then, dollar was so strong. Well, it's even stronger now. It's more like twenty to one now. Yeah. So. What? Yeah, I had a big party after that one in South Africa. I invited everybody up. Had about fed about fifteen people. All you can eat: steak, lobster, beers, wine drinks whatever it was cost me 50 bucks they 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 paid they paid you in in hundred dollar bills or cashier's checks back then hundred dollar bills yeah (laughs) so sick so it was good luckily you're only lucky if you had anything more than 10 grand you had to claim it so i didn't have to claim it remember remember uh in south africa when my when my uh all my money got stolen the first night I don't remember that, but I remember you being in South Africa. Yeah, with me at the uh, Holiday Inn. Yeah, you you uh, in Deba when you guys were on t- town and country. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What where you were staying somewhere else and you had, you had no place to stay, so you had to stay with us. Yeah, you guys had like an apartment or something. Yeah. Yeah, my 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 uh, first night I was there. I flew in, in the middle, you know, really late. Went for morning surf because you're all jet lagged. Come back yep. to the room. I load up my stuff. I go check in at your guys' place. And then I go through my stuff and all my money is gone. Yeah. Wow. That's what they did. They would go through your bags and steal your stuff. We found <laughs> out that if you put your stuff in your bag and you hide it, they steal it. But if you leave it wide open, they won't touch it. Right. So. Oh, good old days. Yep. That's so, kind of where I met Seth Holly too. I stayed with his mom and dad down there when I won that comp. So after the tour in like '95, you took some 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 time off. What did you yep. What did you do? Just come back to shaping full time? Well, basically, I wanted to stay home, man. I was like, you know, I, was, I had a really bad tour on '95. I pretty much lost every first heat. I won one heat in in Brazil. I got a ten. Mark Bannister, that's who it was. Bannister against Mark Bannister, who won my comp that I that the drug use and life abuse. Uh, people put on down in Brookhurst with Byron Scott. Um, I had one. I had a heat in Brazil at Rio at Barra Beach, and it was about four to six foot, big giant short, you know, beach break breaking outside, and barely stand on my board and go. And so this big huge right came in, and I took off, and I just pulled in standing up in this thing. Uh-oh. And I just kept going and going, and it started to come. I came out, spit me out, and I'm like, whoa. You guys there? Yeah. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. But, and then uh, I got a perfect 10, and that's – And then um, 
after that, I couldn't get another wave. And then I had to... Rick, where'd you go? I'm here. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you, Rich. Larson, can you hear Lyndon? I hear you. But you can't hear Rich? No. I'm going to zap out and pop back in. Okay. So, yeah. I'm, so you got... I won that heat by about a point because I couldn't get another wave. Wait a minute. You caught one wave? I caught one wave. And then my next wave I think I, I caught. And because the insur- the in- interference rule back in the day was different. So, um, no, it was Brett Bannister. Not, no, Mark. Yeah, Mark. Mark Bannister, yeah. He, yeah, he took off on a wave going right. And I took off way behind him going right. So he got interference and that's how I beat him. <laughs> By any means necessary, right? Well, I couldn't catch a wave to save my life, and I wanted to make it out of a heat. And I said, dude, I'm sorry, but I just had to make it out of heat. Oh, you effing seppo. <laughs> you know? So. That's classic. But I was done after that. So. Larry, what did you do? So, so you came. 96. Yeah. I just took time off. And uh, that's when I met my wife. And then 97, we got serious and got married. And then we did, went to Japan in 97. And then I did the tour in 98, and it was doing very, very well. And I was rated about fourth in the world on the QS in 97. And then, I, I mean, 98, and I went to Brazil for four weeks, lost every first heat, and dropped all the way to 27th. And had to go to Hawaii and make one heat. I would have made the tour for 99, but... I couldn't get anybody to help me out and give me 500 bucks to get to Hawaii. Oh. I had an air ticket because I bought a ticket, but I had no cash. I sold everything. To, I, sold, I sold like $5,000 worth of all my surfboards. No, more than five because I think I sold like $8,000 worth of stuff because I had to pay off my American Express. I had to pay – buy my ticket and everything to go to Brazil. So I sold my truck, sold boards, wetsuits, sold everything. So oh I went gosh. down to Brazil for four weeks, lost every first heat, couldn't even get to my feet, couldn't do anything right. My wife saw, what happened to you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so came home and asked some major people for a couple hundred bucks, and they said they couldn't afford it. Rough. And all I had to do is come over to Hawaii and make one heat, and I would have made the 99 WC the CT Tour. Oh, man. So that was it. I was done. Crocodile, like you said. Industry, uh, no friends, huh? They eat you up, spit nope. you out. That's right. You're, you're nice, juicy steak for a while, and then they spit you out because they don't give a crap about you anymore. Yeah. So growing up in the, you know, the industry like you did, I mean, times are, are different. Now you, now you have some kids that are a daughter that's ripping, right? Yep. How's it to like be her kind of mentor and coach and, and surf dad? Like Nothing with- but a nightmare. bad memories and it's just it it become it became more of a nightmare than having fun yeah is the uh i mean with the kind of the state of what what's happening in the in the industry now with brands consolidating being sold going you know but i mean sell out bunch bunch, of sell out losers yeah it's That's it's, that's what happens when you hire the wrong people running a company you bring in all these people from outside the industry. I think they're gonna like you know make it all gravy, and then they start clipping all the OGs. That's right. They hire the wrong people. They sell to the wrong people, 
and then the people get rid of the right people that keep things going that know how what they're doing once they're gone then everything disappears all they do is see money oh 350 million dollar company a year let's buy it oh why do we need this guy why do we need that guy why do we need this guy so they get rid of like 10 guys that make them about 50 to 100 million a year yeah because they think oh why am i paying this guy this much money or that much money why am i paying this all these guys up to five million a year let's get rid of these guys let alone those guys are making them about 50 million a year yeah yeah they just don't get this they don't get it they just they're just idiots they think they can deep you know i think what op might have been the first ones to sell out back in the day they think that someone's just going to write them a big fat check and they're going to live life happily but what about all the people that got them where they're at yeah yeah you know all these owners don't get it look yeah you might be tired and burned out but hey why don't you pass stay the buck? Involved? Yeah, pass the buck. Exactly. State ownership and keep involved, but teach yeah. someone else how to do it for you, so they can keep the crown, the the flame going. Yeah. Don't just sell out and let some idiot come in town. But then there's a lot of idiots in the surf industry that walk into businesses and they still steal the money and don't give back. Yeah, yeah you got you got to you got to carry that torch and pass it along. And, well, the industry know. is the industry was built on the men and women that built it with their hands okay yeah. Yeah. we are a big family okay yeah. so what happened is some of those men and women got older and had other people come up behind them to help them but those other people that came out to help them got greedy and instead of the men and women that built the industry that took the money that they made and put it back into their companies the people that have taken over in the last 30 years have taken the money and not put it back in out of their pocket. They kept the money and kept borrowing money. Yeah. Yep. And they're so far in debt, they sell, and now there's nothing left. Yeah. Yep. Because no. they didn't put their own money back into the company. They borrowed money. Yeah, we we need you know we we on our show we interview a lot of surf shops and entrepreneurs and people that started you know and stuff and you know we talk about how important it is to you know stay you know, core and local and not, not sell out, you know, yeah. and just try to take care of your own and, and, you know, have legitimacy, but also support, you know, the, the, you know, the community, you know, yeah. like keep it, keep it, keep it close, keep yeah. it tight. Why do you think Frog House has done so well? TK, man, he's been doing this for so many years. Every bit of nickel and dime he makes, he gives back. Yeah. He doesn't borrow money to make money. He uses his own money to make money. If he, if he makes a dollar, He'll spend 90 cents of that dollar to make $2. Yep. Everybody else, if they make the dollar, they'll keep the dollar, but they'll borrow somebody else's $2 to try to make $5, and they make the $5, and then they'll borrow $20 to try to make $50, and they'll make the $50, and they'll borrow $1,000, try to make ten grand. they make the ten grand, and then they sell out because they never give their money back. Then they sell out when things get tough. Yeah. And when things get tough, they don't put their own money back in. They keep borrowing more and more money. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you could see that not giving back. I mean, you know, there's not really a domestic, you know, bud tour anymore. And of course you need some of those non endemic sponsors and kind of, you know, corporate, you know, to help, you know, uh, you know, bring in some money. But, you know, I feel like we, we're in this like pinch, you know, where the top tour, you know, the, the WSL is doing a great job, but it's it's you know, such a small little bracket world. And then underneath that there's nothing, you know. So it's yeah. like you know, well, luck. here's the here's the deal. The surf industry is a small as a, as a speck of sand on the beach. Yeah. Okay. 
And when you get the rest of the sand pile trying to come in and join the industry, it doesn't work that way. Kelly Slater is trying to bring all these outsiders in, which is great. It brings a lot of money in, but the money's coming in, but the money's not being made. Yeah. Okay. There's no money when when someone's bringing money in, but the money you bring in is is not making the money to go back out. Yeah. You lose. Yeah. You can you can borrow a hundred thousand dollars. To buy a house that needs to be fixed up, once it's being fixed up, you can turn around and sell for two hundred grand. You don't buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars and fix it up and sell it for eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Because you're in debt thirty or forty thousand dollars. That's kind of what the industry is. They they brought all these millionaires in to bring money in, and they're bringing millions of dollars in, but they're they're not they're getting ten cents to the dollar back. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. There's nothing to offer in the surf industry. There is absolutely nothing to offer for these companies to make money. Yeah. And they're still putting money in. I'm sorry to tell you people, but this is the reality. I've been in this industry longer than any of you, okay? And before me was my father, okay? I've picked apart this industry. I know it better than anybody, and this is the way it works. Yeah, we need to keep keep the the brand's core, support local shops – and keep it authentic. Absolutely. Yep. We so, need, but it's we not going to happen. But yeah. um, we, uh, you know, we're one of the uh, um, big supporters of the West Coast Board Riders, and I'm sure you know you're familiar with that and and the way it's bringing back a little bit of that competitiveness, you know, amongst uh, you know ex pros, current pros, the youth, and now we got this cool little you know class uh, rivalry, you know, from. Your twelve to fifteen year olds to your fifty year olds and everything in between, and, and uh, nothing to do with it. Yeah, and and we'd love to see you on that Newport team, crushing it. Won't it. Happen? Why is that? Because it'll never happen. No. Nope. I want nothing to do with it. What what uh what are you um what are you doing now for for like. Um, marketing on your on your boards. So you 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 still a Costa Mesa at your dad's shop? Wave tools right there in Placentia. Nope, my dad no. sold that shop a long time ago. Okay. I've been doing my own stuff since about '98. Awesome. I did my own thing. I did uh, I did the Contra thing for a little bit in the early '90s. I did the CHS for the late '90s, and then I just started doing Richie Collins surfboards. That's it. Nice. What's uh? What you have a website? How do people get a hold of, to order boards? Oh, I did have a website for a couple of years, and it cost more money than it was worth. <laughs> so it's, I just shut it down. It's not worth it. They reach out Facebook or directly, or is yeah, there... I just do Facebook stuff, and still people don't order boards. Yeah. I just I still have guys that order boards for the last thirty years that get boards here and there. Yeah. So nice, but nobody wants to pay four hundred bucks for a board. They think it's too expensive, but they'll go buy a, another board for seven fifty that is a piece of crap off the floor. Yeah. When I custom make your board for 400 bucks, I shape it, I airbrush it, I glass it, hot coat it, and sand it. I do it. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else touches my stuff. I do it. I'm the Ferrari and the Porsche of the market. If not, yeah. I would say I'm the Lamborghini because yeah. my board should be selling for over $1,000 when I shape them because I do all the work. Yeah. Okay? So. Yeah, I, lo- I love the air sprays. I love the old school, you know, yeah. like a lot of work goes into those, you know? What um? What's your favorite board? What are you riding right now? You said you're super into twin fins. Yep, I uh, redesigned a board from back in the IPA MR Lance Collin days from the mid to late '70s and the early '80s. Yep. And I started shaping twin fins back in the early '80s, 
and took them to the next level in the mid 80s during the PSAA. Um, I redesigned it and took 40 years of knowledge and put it into my own deal. So um, I came up with an idea, slept on it for a few months, developed it for about for a couple years before I made one, and uh, made a couple and they worked. And I'm doing some more research and development on my, right now for the fan boxes and uh, through future fins and uh, came up with some great ways from them breaking out. And so far it's been working and uh, different ways of making them work better. And it's been working. Are you so, doing your own fin, fin templates too? I'm using the same fin template I've used since 85. Wow. Nice. So... And when I did four fins for a little bit, when they came back, I was using my same four fin templates that I designed back in '85. Sick. What about um, you know, what, what who's writing your boards? Like, I mean, outside of just paying customers, you got any uh, just team me. writers? Just you? Uh, just me. Yeah. I just write them. I got a long time guy has been getting boards since about '95, '96. He used to get all tri fins from me. Now he gets all twin fins. <laughs> he rides them in Bali, Fiji, Hawaii. Yeah. Back in San Clemente, Australia. Nice. nice. So, what do you what do you think about? Uh, we always ask our our guests about you know the the Olympics and, and surfing now you know being part of the Olympics. Is that? Um, I think it's a great opportunity, but I'm pretty sure Kelly said it was pretty much of a joke because you can't have a world champion off of one contest. Yeah. And they came up with that three that three tier system or whatever they try to do that they do in the other contest. You know, like. You lose your heat, you go through this other thing, you do this, you do that, blah, 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 blah. It still doesn't work that way. It's, 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 it's not the right way. If you, didn't, if you can do the Olympics in surfing, you need to be able to do a contest, do another contest, and do another contest. At least two out of three wins or three out of five wins Yeah, yeah. to make a world champ. And, and you think different locations too? Um, to kind of give a little bit more versatile, like kind of – that's kind of that's kind of up in the air because it's too costly to do that. Yeah. Unless they planned it, say for instance, it's supposed to be in Japan, and maybe Japan has some of the worst waves in the world, <laughs> but they also have some of the best waves in the world. So with Surfline and all the education of surf reports online, they sh everybody should be sitting at home. And looking at a three-week forecast saying, okay, well, you know what? This is where we're going to have the next contest because this is where it's going to be pumping. Everybody buys air tickets and, and get their hotels, and they fly there for that five-day period. Yeah. And when they're done, everybody goes home. Or at the same time, oh, you know what? We're going to have the next contest here because it's going to be pumping next week for these three or four days. So we're going to all fly there for the next contest. Instead of saying, oh, this is the date the contest is. We're going to do a two-week waiting period and hope for the best. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason for the WSL or any competition out there to sit there and make dates for contests anymore. There's no reason for it. They should just put the contest up, here's the schedule, and we'll tell you when we're going to have the contest. Is there a wave on, on the planet that should be on the tour? Um, like, like, do you feel like it's missing? I mean, I'm pretty bummed Lowers is off. Well, Lowers is a ripoff. The... They want ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars a day to have a freaking contest, which is a joke. Yeah, you know it's going to be a. They should have a waiting period, 
um, one month. The contest is going to be seven days. You got a one month waiting period when the best waves are going to be. Okay. And the contest can be run for seven days. And in between those seven days, you can pick the best seven days. And that's how it should be run. Every contest should be run like that. But instead, the WSL has decided to shorten up the contest by coming up with a new way of doing things to where, I don't know, they got a new format now. So, not, so they can run a contest in two days. Come I, think on, th- I, co- I think three, but I don't, I don't know. I may be wrong. No, yeah. I thought they did the girls in two days like last year mm. during a contest. I'm like, you know how much surfing that is in two days to do? Yeah. I, you do what, two or three heats in one day and you got three or four heats the next day? If you lose and you come back and you lose, that's out of control. Yeah. It's a lot. Every heat on the WSL is 30 to 40 minutes. Even though you're doing your sitting a lot, Every wave you catch is like catching ten waves. Yeah, yeah. mentally Your too. Your is going yeah. so much faster. Yeah, for a twenty-minute heat in a contest is like surfing two hours. Yeah, it's a burnout. It is a burnout. So, anyway, hopefully they'll get 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 a clue when they. Hear it. <laughs> what about and if they ever want to hire the right person to do the job? I'm the man to do it. There you go. But we'll they didn't out there. back. They didn't listen to me thirty years ago. And they still won't listen to me now. <laughs> but actually, they did listen to me 30 years ago because what they're doing now is what I told them to do 30 years ago. Waiting periods and, and you know, at yep. least having... It, it just took them too long to figure it out. Yeah. So. What about wave pools? Have you surfed any wave pools? Um, yeah, I surfed Palm Springs back yeah. in 1980-something. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of change since then, huh? Yeah, but you know, watching Kelly's wave pool is pretty boring. You know, yeah, yeah. Surfs the same; they do the same thing, and no one really looks great. I just think it's they need they need. Um, I think it should be more of an exhibition yeah. than a con- competition, because that way the guy you can go out there and just go surf and go crazy. Yeah. Instead of having to surf to a criteria, I think they should have like. Um, Invite certain surfers around the world. They should have a a, a, yeah. a, um, a masters division. Invite guys like me and Luke to go out there and you know Potter and and they should have a seniors division. Get Mr. and Sean Thompson and Ian, all of those guys. You know, but it's all about what money. Yeah, and I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that it would bring more people watching than it does now. If they ran a masters and a seniors, yeah. Hold on a second. Hold on. No, just it just goes great like blank. Yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah. So anyway, what I, what was I talking about? We're just um, just wave wave pools and and yeah. how it should be a specialty event. I I totally agree. I don't I don't think it should be a tour stop. I think they no. should run some specialty events and you know like uh, they make, did back in the day. They'd have a specialty event like like YMA the Eddie. You know, it's a specialty event. Yeah, you know, yeah. They do stuff like that. They should do. They come out with a nice wave pool or something. They should do specialty events. It's, it's the way it should be. I mean, you can't. You, it's like someone saying, "How much will, how much can I pay you to do this?" I can't put a number on it because I'm me. Yeah. yeah. You know? There's no number. I made my money surfing. I'd love to make more. Yeah. You know, but I, I just, I don't believe that I should be paid to do something that I should have been being paid for the last 30 years doing all of a sudden you want to pay me again you should have never stopped paying me yeah i should have been 
from what I what I built 30 years ago, I still should still be a part of the family, not oh, um, we want to pay you again, or what do you need for us to pay you to do this? It's like really, yeah, you know. The and, way- that, and that goes back just to like again, like the surfing community and the, and the industry and how it should yeah. take t- take care of the the generations I mean, you, before you, you, and you look include at golf, them. You look at golf. You look at tennis. You look at. Um, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you look at all these other sports and surfing wants to be like them. Well, why don't you start taking care of your veterans and your seniors and your masters that got you where you are today? You think any of these companies would be halfway there where they are without me, Sonny, Luke, Martin Potter, MR, Sean Thompson, Rabbit, all these guys? No. And you get other Tom Carroll. I mean, I don't know. Even look at Danny Kwok, Preston Murray, Jeff Parker. You think Quicksilver would be anywhere on the map without them? Look at my dad. You think anybody, my dad would be where he is right now without those guys or Quicksilver without those guys or my dad? No, they wouldn't be. Look at Tom Curran. What, do you think Al Merrick would be Al Merrick without Tom Curran or Kelly Slater? No, he wouldn't. Yeah. Not one company in this industry would not be where they are right now without the rider they had. Yeah. Yep, Okay. for sure. There's no way in the world. Every company that's sold out to the public should have gave every single one of these riders that got in there a percentage. Yeah. If that's so, then Billabong and Oakley, you owe me a freaking hell of a lot of money, damn it. <laughs> and they should, you should have been gotten royalties off your, your blades, dude. Are you kidding me? Exactly. You put those on the map. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it is what it is. It's the way the companies ran because they did not do it right. And now look where they're all. They're almost all out of business 30 years later. Yeah. But all the owners are rich. rich and having a great time. Yeah. Oh. So, Here you there. Yeah. What um what's who is your who's your favorite travel companion? Like on tour, like to go on a surf trip with? Um Sonny? I did I did a couple surf trips with him, but he hated hanging out with me anymore because I would always put him in his place. <laughs> and he didn't like that. I used to, you know, I laugh at him and make fun of him. He didn't like that. I was yeah. the only one that could, you know. Yeah. Um, love you, buddy. But God, that's, yeah. but that's, that's what good friends are. You could talk crap and then, you know, like just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, be able to put a couple jabs and know it's in all good fun. Yeah, but Sonny was his own kingpin. He didn't want another kingpin hanging out with him. That's yeah. just the way Sonny rolled. He was always like that growing up. Yeah. And. uh he just, you know, he wanted to be the king of the mountain. Yeah. That's just stunning. He's always, he's always like that. He's always fidgety. He always wanted to be somewhere else. He can never be in one spot for more than a week to two weeks. He'd lose his mind and want to. Dude, he used to go to Australia for like a couple days and fly back to Hawaii just to see his girlfriend for a day and then fly back. <laughs> what the hell's up with that? So crazy. You know, we both had girlfriends from Hawaii and they moved to San Diego. So he's freaking losing his mind. He's like, dude. I'm coming to L.A., man. I'm going to San Diego to see my girlfriend. Why? Because. I go, all right, well, then I'll join you. My girlfriend's down there, too. So we yeah. go down there and go to San Diego. You know? He'd hang out with her for like two or three days and freak out, couldn't be handled. me. would fly back to Hawaii for like a couple days. I got to see my girlfriend freak out and fly back to San Diego. You know? Jet setting. You know, top of the world. Money, money, party. Go. Money, 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 money. You know? He was nuts, man. You could not. If you put an anchor and put chains on his legs, dude, he would have ate through those chains, <laughs> ate his feet off, or ate his, you know, and went. 
with and walked on nubs to yeah. get to where he wanted to go. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of surfers, you know, after living a lifestyle that we have, you know, kind of are, are like that. You know, you get you can't just yeah. stay in one place. No, no, know? Sonny was always like that, even living the lifestyle. <laughs> he was like that when he started, and he was like that when he was done. He was always We're, in and out of Costa Mesa, never saying hi to me. Like, dude, what? I just heard you were here. What are you doing, dude? What? what? You come to my town, you say hi, let's go to lunch. Yeah. You know, what are you thinking? You know? So, but yeah, he was always, oh, well, I was only in for like a half a day and I went back here to go there to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care if you're here for an hour. You call me and let me know you're here. I don't get to see you that much. Yeah. Okay. Once in a while, I'll run into you in Hawaii and that's it. Once I might see you at Dr. G's or something, yeah. you know? So. Shout out to G, Dr. G. I love that guy. Yeah. Then with back together. Six, if it wasn't for Tim Brown getting me back on my feet. I wouldn't be where I am today. And if it wasn't yeah. for Dr. G taking care of me after 96, I'd be a dead man. Right. Love those guys. What? Uh, where, where's the last uh, surf trip you've been on? Anywhere are you jet-setted um, to? Get some warm water? No. Last <laughs> surf trip. Shoot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went to Hawaii last, was it November? Last November. Uh, winter? Yeah, last winter. We came over here for like a week or so. I think it was a week. Yeah, we did about nine days because, um, yeah, we did. We we came here during um, uh, Thanksgiving, so we flew back Thanksgiving Day back home. Nice. nice. Did you score? Um, I really would have, but my back was bugging me so much I could hardly surf. So uh, then I came home and I lost almost twenty pounds after that. Oh wow! Oof! So you can't afford that. Skeletor well, can't lose 20 pounds. Yeah. Trust me, I could. Will Weber sh- throw, throw, threw something down on um, on Facebook in uh, October, November, a 30-day challenge to start doing some push-ups and sit-ups and lifting some weights. Yeah. So I wasn't going to do it, so I finally decided to do it, so I started doing it. And then um, I uh, started getting stronger again. You know, my stomach started. It's hard for me to do sit-ups because of my hernias. And it looks like i got to get surgery again soon. Uh. So I was like, frick, man, I can't do this. And other crap going on in my life. I just decided to start working at my friend's house in San Clemente every day, built some boards and quit eating. Lost almost 20 pounds. I went from 175, 178 to 155. What? Yeah. No, yeah, I almost lost 25 pounds actually. Oh my gosh. 20 to 25 pounds. When you said quit eating, what do you mean? I just quit eating. What? (laughs) I don't eat. I quit eating breakfast. Can you, can you tell – yeah, Lillian needs this, you know, this diet. What is it? Not eating. Okay. So this is the way you lose – this is the only way you can actually lose weight. You have to get up, leave your house, and go do something till about 12 or 1 o'clock. Okay? You basically have to fast for the first six hours of the day. You go home. You have a bowl of cereal. And you leave <laughs> yes. Your house again. You leave your house again for another six hours. You come home about 6 o'clock and you make a dinner. And you either make dinner or you have another bowl of cereal and you go to bed. <laughs> Don't forget, in the meantime, you're going to be going psycho. <laughs> so you have to find something to keep yourself going and not eat. Your stomach will start growling and every time I'm working with my buddies, like, dude, are you hungry? I don't know. Well, you know if I'm next to my wife or my kids, my stomach's like, <laughs> sounds like a hurricane. Like, I think you need to eat. Nope, not yet. So... Lost about twenty five pounds. Damn. Uh, I need to get all on that. the way down to just I. My goal was one fifty five, and I actually hit one fifty four point five. Oh my gosh! 
So, I don't think I could ever do that. And now Sorry. I'm back up to like the 158 to 161 mark because I haven't been working as much. Yeah. And I've been eating a little bit more food because now that my kids are out of school, I have to feed them all the time. Yeah. They're always hungry. They want food. They're always they, hungry. They just ate. And I'm like, I'm hungry again. I'm like, you just so, ate. Yeah. On the weekends, it was like French toast or banana pancakes or a nice Spam and Eggs breakfast or breakfast burritos. Now it's every day. Uh, <laughs> Spam, eggs, and rice, French toast, breakfast burritos, you know, pan- banana pancakes. Hey, can we go get a bonsai bowl, Dad? Can we go hit a breakfast burrito spot? Hey, can we go get Shibu Yeah. I go, nope, we can't go out to eat at all because I'll make food at home because my food tastes better than anybody's. Yeah. That and it's so expensive to go out. Well, especially when you're feeding a family of five. Yeah. I hear you. They all eat their own meals now. And my youngest wants, always wants steak and potatoes. How many kids you got? Three girls. Wow. I got and two. And they all surfing? Uh, uh, I got a 14, a 15, and a 20-year-old. And my youngest, Anella, she's my boogie boarder. She kills it at her boogie board. My 15-year-old loves surfing, loves to go out there and enjoy herself, which is great. I kept her out of competition because I can't handle it. And my 20-year-old has done nothing but piss me off for the last 10 years because she wants to surf. <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather her play golf because she's a very good golfer. Nice. But she's, she's had a, a couple of uh, successes on, on the local contest, right? Yeah, well, she did really good at home on the amateur series. She did super well. And when she was 14, we came over to Sunset in Hawaii, and she won the pro junior at 14 and when it was closing out. Yeah. Dang. So hold on a second. Hold on real quick. <laughs> she's like, go Trump, another four years. And hopefully he'll get in the, he'll get in the system and he'll change it for another eight years for himself. So, I just, a, I just I just love the comedy. the The best comedian right now in the whole world is Donald Trump. Yeah, I so, hear you. And if all the other people can't handle him because the stuff he says, dude, it's comedy. Come on, pull your head out of your asses and just listen and have, have a laugh. So, uh, so true. So, any anything you want to promote or anything that you know you want to say to our guests, like you know, before we we, we wrap it up. No, not really. I just, you know, get out there. Keep shredding. Surf. Keep shredding. Stay healthy. Surfing and, uh, you know, uh, if anybody ever needs the boards, all you got to do is hit me up on Facebook. And uh, if you want something, you want to go to the best surf shop in the world, in my hometown, Newport Beach, TK's Frog House. Nice. Best deals in the world. Love it. Love it. And then uh, just love my family and love God. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Richie, Skeletor, thank you for spending time with us and telling some rad stories. Rad stories. That's about a sixteenth of that of them. I know. Well, (laughs) we'll do round two. You got to remember. You have to remember. We only talked about till I was about what, what two thousand? Yeah. We got another ten years, and there's still another thirty years, forty, what, uh, forty years prior than that. I know. We we um, we could go for for days. We'll have you but, on again. We, yeah, we'll, you know what? But yeah. you know what? That's for my book. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you when you write your book, then then we'll help you promote it through our podcast. Sounds good. All right. I love it. I think Rich. I got about ten, about another nine years. When I turn sixty, I think I'll write my book. Oh, uh, yeah, do yeah. before then. You got to so. get that that those last couple of chapters, and that's next ten years. So get, yeah. get creative. Get on. Never it. thought I never thought I lived. Uh, I never thought I'd live past 27, but God said I would. Yeah. Hey, so. stay stay healthy, my friend, and uh, thanks thanks for um, 
Yeah, all the many, many years of inspiring uh, surfers. Yeah. Yep. You're welcome. Richie, Thanks. You guys you, have a good day. You Take too, Take care buddy. of the families. Right on, man. We'll do. Peace. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 